This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Is Dominic Reyes next for John Jones? How soon is too soon for Macy Barber? Greg Hardy uses an inhaler mid-fight. Two of the best grapplers in MMA lock horns this weekend in Singapore. We are joined in studio by a very special guest, Big John McCarthy, talking all kinds of MMA subjects for over an hour. You're going to love this conversation. And we're also joined by Ashley Yoder and Maurice Green, who compete in Singapore as well this weekend. All that and more on today's TSN MMA show. Thanks to those listening to the podcast or on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends to subscribe. Leave your reviews. And uh, I want to thank everybody for continuing to listen to this wonderful MMA program as we talk about UFC in Boston this past weekend where Dominic Reyes stopped Chris Weidman inside of two minutes into the first round to potentially become the number one contender for the light heavyweight title. What a finish for Dominic Reyes. Neutralizes the wrestling of Chris Weidman. And then uses his best weapon, at least in my opinion, which is when he's backing up, puts, you know, he plants that left foot and fires away with that left cross. And uh, he can put anybody away with that thing, whether it's John Jones, whether it's anybody else in the light heavyweight division. That is such a powerful weapon for Dominic Reyes, who remains undefeated. Another first round victory. I think about 75% of his wins in his uh, mixed martial arts career have come in the first round and uh, just continues to wow people. Now, a while back, I made a poll of who the most, uh, I guess, the biggest prospect was in the uh, light heavyweight division. I put Reyes. I put, uh, this was after Reyes has fought Uzdemir. Reyes, Johnny Walker, Alexander Rakic. And I forget who the fourth person I I included was, but uh, Reyes finished in last. And I think if I did that same poll today that uh, he might finish in first. Now, it's a bit of a recency bias for sure, but, you know, when you see someone like Dominic Reyes do what he's doing, the amount of finishes he's been getting... Now, of course, he had two fights in a row that went to a decision. One was against Uzdemir, which uh, a lot of people thought he lost. And the other with Ovin St. Preux, which probably should have been a knockout. He knocked Ovens down at like 458 of the third round and uh, didn't get stopped. So it went to a decision, but probably should have been considered a knockout. It was a unanimous decision victory. And now this minute and 43 seconds, the second fastest finish of Dominic Reyes' UFC career comes in the biggest fight of his UFC career, main event of UFC Fight Night in Boston against Chris Weidman. Just a fantastic victory for him. I should point out, uh, Joe Valtellini's not here with me today. He's uh, heading to France for uh, glory. Great fight with Cedric Dumbay this weekend. But let's get back to UFC Fight Night in Boston because... uh, I don't know where Chris Weidman goes from here, honestly. You know, I I just don't know what le- what he has left to prove in this sport. He became a champion. He beat Anderson Silva, the first person in the UFC to defeat Anderson Silva, and he did so in a spectacular fashion, and then beat him in a rematch. Beat Lyoto Machida, beat Vitor Belfort, one of the best middleweight champions of all time in uh, UFC history. And uh, a fighter who was just so talented, but was derailed by injuries, and... Uh, you know, this fight's probably no different. The amount of injuries that this guy has suffered in his UFC career make it very difficult for him to be at the level where he could he could have been at this stage in the game. And, uh, you know, if you look at his resume, I think in the last seven fights, he's either been knocked down or knocked out in all of them. Something something like that. It's just uh, it's been a, a rough go for Chris Weidman. And I just don't know what you could do for him 
to put him in any sort of position to get back into title contention. I just don't know. I don't think that that's there anymore for him. And I, I don't know if it's worth him continuing his career with all the injuries. He's got a family. Um, you know, obviously, financially, you want to continue to uh, stay in the game and, and go back to where you were. He had that really impressive win over Gastelum a while back. I think he'd landed seven takedowns of the fight. Still got knocked down, but was able to finish Gastelum in the third round. And uh, I just don't know where Chris Weidman can go from here that would, you know, make it worthwhile for him to continue fighting. Now, of course, you always want to go out on a win. And uh, I think that that would be uh, great to see, but whether or not it's realistic, I don't know. Speaking of going out with a win, Joe Lozon, minute and 33 seconds into the first round, beats Jonathan Pierce. He told Dana White before this fight that he was going to retire. He was, uh, I guess, wavered on that after the win. Says he won't fight that often, but he still feels like he can beat anybody that they put in front of him. I actually agree with Dana White here. I don't think that it's a health thing for Joe Lozon. I just think that for him to win in that fashion in Boston, is there really is no better way that you can go out. And it's always best to go out on top if you can. He's got a successful gym. He's training a lot of the up-and-coming fighters, including uh, Randy Costa, who scored a first-round TKO in his own right earlier in the night. And he's really done a good job of bringing together all of these uh, top fighters in Boston and uh, is doing a great job as a trainer. So I would like to see Joe Lozon do that and uh, possibly become an analyst. He's one of the most cerebral guys in the sport. He's been around for a long time, knows the ins and outs. But that's not my decision to make. My uh, what I think I would like to see happen, but it's not my career. And I also love watching Joe Lonson fight, so if he continues, I won't complain about that either. Now John Jones and uh, Dominic Reyes seem to be on a collision course. Dominic Reyes was on the Ariel Hawani show earlier today talking about how he will be the first person to knock out John Jones. Quote him on it. If that fight happens, he will be the first person to knock out John Jones. And those are big words. I think he can do it. I think he can knock anybody out, especially with that kind of punch that he, he landed on Weidman. That, uh, we have to remember how good of an athlete Dominic Reyes is. Like He was a safety, six foot three, played safety, and was an all-conference player. That's the kind of athleticism that he has. And he's also a very, very sharp guy. Has a, a degree, I believe, it's in information systems. Like This is a guy who is great at problem-solving, can see things before they happen. And he talked about that in the post-fight as well. Just He was able to see little things that Chris Weidman did that, where he knew he was going to win in that fashion. He could line it up. He says, this is going to happen. It happened, and he had the answer for it. And that's how you win fights in MMA. You solve those problems. And he's great at that as well, solving those problems. And yeah, the win over Ozdemir wasn't all that impressive, but you've got to remember how impressive Ozdemir is. Look at that win that he just had over Latifi. Like, Ozdemir is a, a bona fide top-five talent in that division. So for Reyes, I'd like to, I think he should be next for the title, but I also think that we need to wait a little bit. We need to pump the brakes because we've got two really important fights taking place in the division coming up soon. Coming up at UFC 244 in two weeks, you've got Johnny Walker versus Corey Anderson. Let's see what happens in that one. What happens if Johnny Walker lands a flying knee and knocks out Corey Anderson inside a minute? Who knows? Then you've got Jan Blahovich versus Jacare. What happens if... Either of those guys wins an impressive fashion. They've got to be in the mix. So uh, let's pump the brakes. Let's wait and see. You know, there's no rush right now. We don't even have the... the I mean, Q, Q2 is done. Or, uh, sorry, the, the end of this year, Q4 is done. 
It's set up. We know what's going to happen. And barring any sort of injuries to title competitors for that last card of the year, I think we know what we're going to see by the end of the year. So let's, you know, let's wait and see. Well, what's the harm in waiting and seeing what happens and seeing what the best bet for John Jones is early next year? Maybe Jones was up to heavyweight too. Who knows? Because if you ask me what, what fight I'd like to see most for John Jones, the answer is Francis Ngannou. It's not even that light heavyweight. Maybe that's just me. So uh, let's wait and see how this plays out. I, I would put out a poll and say, you know, who would you like to see him fight next, Ngannou, Reyes, or the winner of one of those two fights? But let's see how that, those fights play out. You don't know. Maybe Johnny Walker wins by, like, a sloppy decision. Who knows? Maybe Corey Anderson takes down Johnny Walker for three rounds and wins. Still a lot to find out. A lot of information. Colby event, Yair Rodriguez defeats Jeremy Stevens. People got mad at me because I said I thought it was a draw. And whatever. You can, you can make the case that it wasn't. You can make the case that it was. There were, the judges didn't seem to find any 10-8 rounds in that bunch. But if there was one 10-8 round, it was probably the third. Jeremy Stevens had control of that round from start to finish. He was on top of Yair for two to three minutes, landing good blows from on top. The second round, Yair Rodriguez almost finished Jeremy Stevens. If you want to give that a 10-8, you can do that, by all means. But I don't think you can call either the second or third round and say that it's, you know, it should, you know, that neither were a 10-8 round. They definitely could have been. At the time, I had scored rounds one and two, 10-9 each for Yair, and I thought that the third round was a 10-8 round. I mean, what can I say? I'm not going to go back in time and be like, well, if that was a 10-8, maybe the second round should have been a 10-8. That's not how scorecards work. So I had to be honest, and that's what I said. But uh, either way, Yair Rodriguez walks away with a win. Looks like these two guys have buried the hatchet. Uh, I loved watching what Yair was throwing at uh, Jeremy Stevens, the first and second round. So unpredictable. I don't get you know, long-term predictions right very often, but I predicted that Yair Rodriguez and Kamaru Usman would both be very good off of the Ultimate Fighter. I thought they were both championship caliber. And, uh, I mean, Usman's proved me right in that capacity, and I think that Yair Rodriguez is probably a top-five featherweight now. Greg Hardy beats Ben Sassoli, but in between rounds two and three, takes an inhaler. It, it was called Inhalergate Night of, and uh, that's fair. And the fight was ruled a no contest just about an hour or two after it happened. And that's the right thing to do. Because if inhalers are allowed between rounds, I'm going to open an inhaler store tomorrow. Start an online shop. Advertise on all the different MMA podcasts. You know, Enter code Bronstetter for 20% off your first inhaler. And just sell inhalers to the fighters. They can use them between rounds. I thought it was interesting that Dana White and Jeff Nowitzki were starting to kind of you know, play that PR card. They sent Kevin Ioli a message, and Ioli tweeted out that maybe it was legal. And then I think Mark Ratner probably behind the scenes, you know, told him to reel it in a little bit because we don't want to see fighters using inhalers in every fight. A lot of people are pointing the finger at Greg Hardy, but I think he's the last person you point the finger at in this situation if you're looking at him, his corner, and the commission. His corner and the commission should know better. Greg Hardy's just going off what he's being told. If, they, if he asks, can I use this inhaler, and they say yes, that is not on him at all. So I think that, uh, you know, I saw somebody did a column saying that he was the victim in this situation. Uh, you, might, you might not want to use that terminology. Eh, just saying. But uh, I do think that uh, you can't really put the onus on him when his corner and his commission are both saying it's okay. Now, one thing I did take from that fight is that Greg Hardy has improved quite a lot from... The, his first fight in the UFC earlier this year, at the beginning of this year, 
to where he is now at the end of the year. Sassoli was was pressuring him. He was, he was walking forward. He was doing all the same things that Alan Crowder were doing. And uh, about two minutes into that first round, Hardy was able to figure out the distance and just controlled it from there. No ifs, ands, or buts. Greg Hardy was... Uh, he had figured Ben Sassoli's distance, you know, the distance out and was able to just shut Sassoli down. Probably lost that third round. But uh, I thought that he looked like a much improved fighter from a, a tactical standpoint in that fight. He wasn't going for the kill for the whole three rounds. He, he tried to maintain his energy. I mean, obviously the inhaler came into play there, and that's why it was a no contest. Who knows what would have happened if he was unable to take the inhaler in between rounds. But uh, it was amazing, the uh, the commentary. They were like, I've never seen that before. You can't do that. Mark Radner on the broadcast, yeah, that's illegal. But the fight continues, you know. Hard to pay attention to that third round with that as the narrative. And with that being all the announcers we're talking about, or the commentary team, rather. But, uh, yeah, Greg, Greg Hardy is uh, a no contest. So in his four fights, he has one disqualification and one no contest. Good grief. That said, we need to peel away the layers here with Greg Hardy because everybody's always going to talk about the stuff that happened before he was in the UFC. I've asked him questions about it. He did not seem very apologetic. He did acknowledge that what he did haunts him at night. That's probably the most that we're going to get out of him on the subject. But if he's in the UFC, we need to look at him as a UFC fighter. We need to assess him performance by performance. And I thought that this performance was a good one from him. And I think that uh, we, I think the UFC is giving him better competition as as it goes on. You know, look at the line between him and Juan Adams. I think Juan Adams might have closed as a favorite or a small underdog. The UFC is starting to up the level of competition that he's facing in an organic fashion. So don't be surprised if we see Greg Hardy fight a ranked guy sooner rather than later. And that's going to be an interesting litmus test for what he can become in the sport. I want to see where he's at at this time next year. Maybe he loses two in a row. Maybe he wins. Who knows? But uh, I will say that I thought his light kicks were on point. I thought that his distance control was really good. And uh, it looks like he is becoming a more complete fighter. And uh, as with the level of a guy with the level of uh, athleticism that he has is a dangerous thing in this sport because he can put so much power into what he throws. And if he's able to approach this in a tactical fashion, it's uh, who knows, the sky's the limit. I actually last week took a long look at that decision prop. It was like nine to one, Greg Hardy by decision. I thought that could happen. Sassoli's never been knocked out. He probably got a good chin on him. You probably would have, if you did take that bet from a, a sports book, they probably would have paid you out because it wasn't ruled in no contest until after the fact. Usually they go by whatever the result is in cage. And last but not least, I want to talk about Macy Barber. She looks phenomenal. I mean, there's no way around it. She looked like she is the real deal. This was a really good matchup for her against Jillian Robertson. They were two young prospects in this division. Robertson coming off a very impressive win in her own right. Against Sarah Froda. A big challenge for Barber, and Barber passes the test with flying colors. Throws big, big shots. And uh, Robertson tried to fight back, but uh, it was too little too late. And uh, the referee stepped in. And I, I don't think it was a bad stoppage. I think you might have been able to let it go another second or two, but why, why let Robertson sustain that kind of damage? 
I touch on that with uh, Big John McCarthy a little bit later on. We'll get to that very soon because it's a long interview and it's, uh, I think, a very worthwhile one to listen to. Because I learned a lot from Big John, as I do whenever I talk to the man. So, Macy Barber calls out Paige Van Zandt after the fact. I think at this point that fight's even beneath her, but I think that it's a fight that uh, would be very marketable and, and easy to sell. And I made a point online that I have a feeling the UFC are going to tell Paige Van Zandt that she's going to have to take that fight or they're just going to sit on their contract. She wants to become a free agent. She wants to make whatever she thinks she's worth. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they, they tell her, like, listen, we're sitting on your contract until you accept this fight. Macy Barber's your next fight or you're just going to not fight. And they have the leverage to do that. And it's a it's a tough, tough thing for Paige Van Zandt because if she loses that fight, she loses a lot of her negotiating power in, in any sort of negotiation she might have. But I think that that's what's going to happen. I think that's the fight to make. And I think you could make that a main or co-main event on a fight night card. I really do. Don't be surprised if you see that in the coming months because I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that they, they probably would want to use... Paige Van Zandt as a building block for Macy Barber. And if that fails them and Paige Van Zandt wins that fight, Paige Van Zandt has won a lottery ticket because she's going to be worth a lot in the open market or if the UFC decides to bring her back. But Macy Barber really looks like the real deal at age 21. What she was able to do to Jillian Robertson was really impressive. Darren Stewart beats uh, Deron Wynn. This was a, an interesting one because uh, I, I gave it to Deron Wynn, but uh, I thought that uh, he had a lot of problems with Darren Stewart and he needs to become a more complete fighter. It's also incredible how small he is. Like, he missed weight. He uh, was over the 186-pound weight limit by 2.5 pounds, weighed in at 188.5. And he's, a, he's five foot five. Like, this guy's, a, this guy's built like a brick house. But the size difference was palpable in there. You saw how big Darren Stewart was compared to him. So uh, there was a lot to like about this fight card. There was a, there were a lot of really interesting things that went down. Um, you know, Charles Rosa beats uh, Manny Bermudez with a, an arm bar. That was interesting because Rosa stayed on bottom and, and kept trying to test Bermudez, who's known for submissions in his own right. Sean Woodson looks great against Kyle Bokniak. Bokniak won't stop trying to walk him down. And Woodson is just has a great strategy for how to beat him. Does a good job with his striking defense, his movement. Throws a lot of unorthodox strikes. This is going to be a kid to watch in the UFC, Sean Woodson. So kudos to him. And then uh, some really good some really good uh, performances from some of the other uh, newcomers in the UFC. Tanner Bozer gets the win over Daniel Spitz. Unanimous decision, 30-27 on all cards. Great leg kicks. Really committed to the leg kicks, and I like to see that. Uh, Brendan Allen, his first fight in the UFC, defeats Kevin Holland by a rear naked choke. That was a back-and-forth affair. Sean Brady makes his UFC debut and beats uh, Court McGee. By unanimous decision. 30-27 on two cards and 29-28 on another. Looked really good in that fight. Great debut and uh, got a real um, vote of confidence from Paul Felder who said he might be the most powerful grappler he's faced. And uh, Randy Costa beats Boston Salmon. First round, 2 minutes and 15 seconds with a, a very strong knockout. Now we got this weekend UFC fight night. Maya versus Askren. 4.30 a.m. Catch me online, folks. Get on my, uh, my Periscope. I need to find a guest who's going to be willing to get on with me at that time. I'm sure Dan Tom will be up. Maybe I'll bug Dan Tom again. But uh, 
This is a really uh, this is this card has some interesting fights on it, namely Maya versus Askren, two of the best grapplers maybe in MMA history. Is that fair to say? I have no idea how this one's going to play out. I would have to think that Askren's going to win this one. Like I would lean Askren if you asked me who wins this fight. If you if these guys fought a hundred times, who wins more than fifty times, more than fifty percent of the time, Askren. I think Ashton's going to be able to take Maya down and get you know get into side control or, or stay stay heavy on top of him. Maya from the bottom has is not the most effective with his subs. He's a, a great grappler and he's great at, at transitioning and sweeping and getting to top, but I'm not sure if he'll be able to do that against a guy as versatile as Ben Askren in the grappling game. If this is contested on the feet, you know you probably have to give Maya the edge, but we haven't seen much of Askren, Askren striking in, over the last couple of years. I don't really know where it's at. It's hard to know. He's landed zero significant strikes in his uh, UFC career. He's one and one. And then you've got uh, Michael Johnson versus Stevie Ray. That's a fun one. Cyril Gaon. Or I guess it's Gane. Second fight in the UFC against Dante Mays. That's going to be uh, fun to watch because Dante Mays is a good prospect in his own right. And Muslim Salakov, the king of Kung Fu, against Loriano Steropoli. I like that one as well. Random Marcos, a Canadian on the card, taking on Ashley Yoder who uh, will join us later on in the show. Uh, as will Maurice Green, who's facing Sergei Pavlovich. But uh, I'd like to get to our interview with uh, Big John McCarthy. Big John joined me in studio earlier today, and uh, we had a really long chat, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So let's go into uh, our guest of the week, and that's uh, Big John McCarthy in studio here on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm pleased to be joined in studio by the legendary... Big John McCarthy, one of the pioneers of mixed martial arts. Um, you know, I was reading all about you and and what happened last week. I guess what you said about Ariel Hawani, the thing about him. <laughs> I, I'm starting off I'm with in this. I'm, start, again. I'm, I'm starting off right out of the cannon. But, all right, go. But listen, I know you respect Ariel, and I know that I do. Um, you know. Obviously, with a documentary, he probably is talking for five hours, and they're taking a small chunk out. Yeah. But he hasn't read your book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get that sense from uh, from what he said because first off, I watched just uh, as an example UFC five. It was a, a fight between, um, you know, I wrote this down. Just you want it was, to tell you? I can tell you It was Dan right Severn now. and uh, Joe Charles. You were refereeing it. Okay. And then I watched the fight from UFC 30, which is the last SEG card, Elvis Sinisich versus Jeremy Horn. And the differences between UFC 5 and UFC 30 are way more stark than the differences between UFC 30 and UFC 243. That's right. And so I, wa- I want you to just kind of clear up what did happen in the SEG era that, um, well, I mean, obviously the, the rules of the sport were created on the fly. Yeah, you were a big part of that. You you refereed UFC two and said, "I'm not going to do this again." That's true. Unless you you know make some changes here, yeah. because I don't want to watch somebody you know get beaten to the brink of death yeah. without being able to st- step it's in. And it's stop supposed it. to be sport. So when he's saying running towards um, legis- I guess it was uh, regulation. regulation. Yeah, I guess he's talking more probably from a state standpoint because state by state, I guess 2001 when they bought Zufa bought the UFC. It was only. Uh, legalized, I think, in Nevada and New Jersey at that point in time. In terms, no, of, no, that's no, not not the case. Not okay. even close. Okay. Yeah. The, the The truth of the story is this: back when John McCain came into, you know, be a an adversary for the sport of MMA, he and the reason why he became that adversary was not because he cared about fighting. He didn't care about MMA. He was, you know, a senator who liked boxing, and Budweiser was the biggest basic sponsor of boxing at the time, and his wife and her family 
were beer distributors. So figure it out. Why do you <laughs> think that he was involved with, with something that was starting to take viewers and pay-per-view buys away from the sport of boxing and what they wanted? So he came out you know, and became this you know, adversary against it, talking out against called it human cockfighting. You know, he, he, and he had no clue about the sport. He even said, he goes, you know, there's no referees. I'm <laughs> like, all right, if you're so stupid that you can't see a six foot four, 300 pound man standing there, that, that was me. All right. Then you haven't even watched it. So you're just talking. And, but all of that is what started, you know, the hard times, what we called the dark years for the UFC and the sport of MMA here in, you know, North America. And it was, him sending out letters to all the different governors saying you need to ban this, outlaw this in your states. And it, he did a very good job. He became the person that sat on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee on the cable industry. And he got together with a guy named Leo Hendry. Leo Hendry was the president of TCI. TCI was a giant cable provider at the time, but you got to figure cable back then was nothing compared to what it is now. And I guess now it's kind of going down with all the new streaming systems and right. everything there yeah. is. But he, uh, he was in trouble. TCI was in trouble because they had a lot of outdated equipment. And John McCain made a deal with Leo Henry of, hey, take that off of the air and I'll give you time and I'll help you with your stuff. And so that was what he did. He took the UFC off of any kind of provider from TCI, they were not allowed to broadcast the UFC. And that's when the UFC started running towards regulation. That was the SAG era. What year? What year would that be? I want to say that was uh, right after UFC 14 is when I went and met Leo Hendry, presented him with a uh, list of 18 rules for the sport of MMA as far as fouls, not rules. But that's when we took out headbutting. We took out groin shots. You know, eye gouging, uh, no small joint manipulation. All the things that you still have today were all part of the rules concept that we you know, presented to him. And he, he basically said, look, I like that you're changing your rules, but you guys have to be regulated by athletic commissions. Boxing is regulated by athletic commissions, and you're going to have to be regulated before I'll put you back on cable. So that's when Semaphore started running towards regulation because it was what was going to keep them alive and the very next show they did was in mississippi and we were all licensed by the mississippi state athletic commission then we went to louisiana and louisiana licensed us and we worked there and then in iowa and we kept running towards regulation to the point new jersey was at ufc 28 nevada was never part of that equation because bob myrowitz was working to get into nevada working to get Nevada to legalize it. Mark Ratner was the actual executive director of the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Lorenzo Fertitta was the co-chair of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, along with Glenn Carano being on it and other people. But when they went to, uh, I went and I talked to all the different commissioners, you know, about the sport in Nevada, trying to get them to understand it. And there was going to be a vote. I came in for the vote. And the night before the vote, I was at dinner with Bob Meyerowitz when he got a call. And the call was from a person, I'm not going to say his name, but he was uh, the person that helped kind of set things up. He was, he's a very big person in Nevada and Las Vegas. 
And he said, hey, I'm just telling you, someone has changed their vote. It's not going to pass. You need to pull it off. You, don't, you can't have it where it doesn't get, doesn't get, uh, where it doesn't get passed. It's okay if it doesn't get voted on. You can't have it get voted on and not passed. And if that happens, it's a hell of a time to reverse it. Well, yeah, exactly. Once, once it's to go through the whole process is something they've already said no to, becomes more difficult. So that was when Bob sold the UFC to Lorenzo Fertitta, and Lorenzo Fertitta stepped down from the Nevada State Athletic Commission, became the owner of the UFC. You figure out what happened. So it's a fall of the money situation in both cases, both with McCain and with Nevada. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's... It doesn't, ta- doesn't take a Fall of the money seems to be the, uh, the yeah. mantra for much of the way that this world yeah. works, especially in North American society. You know, it, it's, it, this is called business, and sometimes business is nasty. Business is dirty. And, you know, when you're dealing with guys that are true businessmen, you're probably, if you're not as good a businessman, you're going to get crushed. Bob got crushed. And that's just the way it goes. But the, to sit there and to give the whole equation of, oh, when Zufa came in, which is Lorenzo, and Dana was named the president, that, oh, they decided then that they needed to run towards regulation. Give me a freaking break. This is that's, a narrative that was kind of pushed in those UFC mini dogs. They pushed it. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. All right, because we were running towards regulation long before they were ever even involved. I first met Lorenzo Fertitta at UFC 21. He came to UFC 21, which was in Iowa, which was a regulated show mm-hmm. by the Iowa State Athletic Commission as a member of the Nevada State Athletic Commission to watch the event with Glenn Carano and Flip Homansky. They were the representatives from... Nevada that came to watch the show and you know afterwards I had dinner with him and sat there and talked to him about it you know and I can tell you right now Flip Homansky who was the medical advisor for the Nevada State Athletic Commission their head ringside physician he loved this show he loved the fighting he thought it was great Lorenzo did not like it did not like guys getting hit on the ground and Glenn Carano whose daughter would would yeah, become you know mm-hmm. the queen of MMA he hated it you know, and I, I, you know, I sat there trying to you know, explain it to him, and he's going, man, these guys are trying to really hurt each other. And I go, Glenn, you know, and Glenn played quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And I said, look, when, when Lawrence Taylor comes around your backside and has a clean shot at you, do you think he's just trying to tackle you? I go, no, he's trying to put you out of the game because that's what's going to get him a win. I go, but he doesn't want to permanently hurt you. He just wants to make it to where you're very uncomfortable for the moment, can't play for the rest of the game, good. And you, you heal up for the next game, great. But he goes, I just don't see it. And he hated it. And then, you know, he eventually voted for it and voted, you know, when Lorenzo was the owner, he voted for it. But, uh, you know, these were all the times that, you know, people, they, they tend to try to push away because the owners, you know, of the past and now the present, they keep on perpetuating this story that's just not truthful. Well, that's weird because one of the other limitations in people's thought process for this is they hear UFC 40, and you're used to having 13, 12 to 13 UFCs a year now. And back then there was two a year? Oh, you know? no, no. You, you look at how many UFCs a year now. If you're looking at pay-per-views, yeah, pay-per-view, you have 12 to 13. Number, if you look at how many UFCs are there a year now, 45. Oh, yeah. Okay. Back, I know this. Back then, week yeah, to week. <laughs> back then, there was six, five to six a year. You know, all the way from UFC 1 to UFC, you know, eh, probably 29. 30, there was about no more than six events a year. Now, you know, there's a ton. So that's why you see you have so many.
So when people hear from UFC one to UFC forty, they think, oh, it's three years. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, look at I've, I've even heard you know Dana sit there and say, look, when we first started this whole sport, and it's like, hey, you didn't start shit. Okay, you bought into something. Now I'm not saying he didn't do a lot, but there was many years, and we're talking seven of them before there was ever Dana White. In fact, Dana White was the guy talking bad about us because he came from the boxing world. So we were the bad guys. So, you know, there, there was a lot of people that did a lot of things that kept this sport alive. And by, by putting out their narrative, they erased those people. That's wrong. Those people did something. And, and what they did should never be forgotten because it's the reason the sport is here today. So when they were saying, I guess Dana says that him and Lorenzo started doing jujitsu and, and learning a lot about it, is, is, that, uh, is that fictional or is that a no, revisionist history? No, but I can, I can tell you back at UFC 21, I gave Lorenzo Fertitta, I wrote down John Lewis's number and said, look, this is a friend of mine. He is in Las Vegas, JSEC Jiu-Jitsu. If you have any questions, this is a guy you can go to. And then I guess later on, they want to say that they, oh, they saw him in a... I think that's fine. You know, I'm not saying what they're saying is wrong, but you know, his name was brought up long before when I gave it to Lorenzo Fertitta. Recently, we were covering an event. Um, I forget which, which event it was, but Todd Duffy was on. He was talking a lot about how the sport is covered, how media covers the sport. Uh, obviously, media is a lot more involved now than it was back in the early days. You got ESPN obviously broadcasting it now. TSN, were the affiliate of ESPN Canada, were broadcasting it. Um, USA Today sends reporters to every event. What would you change about it, the way the sport's covered? Uh, you know, a lot of the people, you know, my colleagues, I have recreational martial arts experience, but a lot of my colleagues don't have a ton of martial arts experience. A lot of them don't have journalism experience. Like they don't have, you know, degrees in journalism or diplomas in journalism. Uh, at least I have that one. And I can't say that I've That's competed good. in martial arts, but I've, I do have recreational martial arts experience. Um, what would you like to see in terms of how the sport's covered change? I would like to have people that just don't, don't buy into anything that's told them. You're, you're, if you're a reporter, you're supposed to investigate. You're supposed to look. You're supposed to not just perpetuate something you've heard. Well, you know, when you hear it, it's like, okay, could that be true? Yes, that could be true. Could that not be true? Yes, that could not be true. And, and what, I, what I see is no one wants to get on Dana's bad side, okay? That's great. But the sport has passed that because, you know, there was a point where Dana was, you know, he was running the media because, you know, he, he take a look at the people that he destroyed as far as their career in MMA. Josh Gross. What happened with Josh Gross? Josh Gross was a reporter, good reporter in MMA, knew, you know, still does it to this day, back, works yeah. for The Athletic. He's bounced back now. But he gave back in 2005 or 2000, no, 2006, there was the comeback of uh, Ultimate Fighter 4, and he gave the people that were in the finals. The, right? In the finals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He put it out long before you know, anyone would know, and Dana you know, came unglued. And I don't blame for Dana for coming unglued, uh, un- but it's Josh's job to report. It's, it's Dana's job to keep those things under wraps. You know, you lost. You won. Okay. But, you know, he destroyed Josh from that point because Josh worked for SureDog. He went after everyone at SureDog. He destroyed Loretta Hunt. Yeah, she, she yeah. co-authored your book with you. Yeah, yeah she did. But mm-hmm. Loretta Hunt was a very good reporter for MMA and did investigative reporting. And when something wasn't right, she would say, and it was actually a report that she put out on what the UFC was doing with people in the back, limiting 
the manager's ability to be near their fighter, taking away their credentials, and you look and there's reasons for that. And Dana decided to crush her, and what did the media do? They just let it happen because, oh, my God, he's going after her. It's not me. I still want my credentials so I can go to the shows. Your job is to be a reporter. Start reporting what's actually happening. You should never have stood by and let those people get slammed the way they did and just let it happen. You should be ashamed. Mm-hmm. And now they have an MMAJA, the Journalism Journalist Association. I'm not part of it, yeah. but I, I haven't seen them do a whole lot. But um, <laughs> just frankly speaking. And there's, there's, and, there's, and there's merit to it. I mean, yes. but in that situation, like, for example, Bloody Elbow runs. They're part of Vox. They're part of the Vox Network. They don't get credentials for events. So why? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a, a big question, I think. You know, and if you're the MMAJA and you, have, you see this website that's doing good work, um, at least in, I'm sure, the eyes of many, uh, why haven't you if, you, if you formed this association two, three years ago now, why has nothing been done about it? They've, I think they've issued one press release in their entire time, and that was stemming from an event here where we were at a, uh, a press conference and we were told not to ask questions about... Okay, well, we were told to ask questions strictly focusing on the event that we Ah, Yes. Who's it, why is it that someone, someone should tell you what questions to focus on? Mm-hmm. If you're a reporter, you should be able to ask questions about that fight, that event, that organization, all of it, because that's what you're reporting on. Mm-hmm. You are the ones that give credence to what they're doing. Now, the UFC's got a great marketing team. Bellator's got a great marketing team. But whatever their marketing is, you've got to decide, is what I'm being told correct or is it what I'm being told slanted? And you've got to you know, report off of it. But what's occurred is a lot of people are afraid of going against you know, the UFC in that we want to report on them because that's where most of our fans come from. That's where we get our revenues. And if we don't report on what they're doing, then people aren't going to – watch what we're reporting on, and then we're going to fold. So I understand the problem. You know, but it really comes down to when the news people, the journalists say, you know what, I'm just going to report on what's fact. And I, if you want to kick me out of your events, kick me out of your events. I can, I can watch the event. I don't have to be at it. I don't have access to the fighters in the same fashion. So that makes it rougher, but you can still report on the event. You know, if I can find things out, you can find things out. So go to, the, go to the events that give you that access, gives you access to their fighters, and if the UFC doesn't want to, then eventually it'll bite them in the butt. You know, you're the ones that actually have the power, but you gave all the power back to them. Uh, one championship, talk about the uh, martial arts spirit and how it's so important uh, to them. And the, in North America, it seems like there's been more of a, a pro-wrestling-driven uh, push for the sport, that it's more character-driven than it is, I guess, technique-driven or... Um, you know, driven by the martial arts spirit. Do, do you feel that way? I do. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt. It's just, it's a different market. And what the, you know, what the Asian market does and what they like is sometimes different. Now, the Asian market loves pro wrestling, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that in the North American market, looking at you know, the United States, Canada, for the most part, you can bring some Mexico into there, but what they want is they want personality. People want that guy. And it, sometimes it's just the way they do things. You know, Conor McGregor got away with things based on having an Irish accent. And let's just be honest. You know, when he says, you know, if I went and, and I said, you know, who the fuck is that guy? Mm-hmm. People are going to look and go, that's not a big thing. But when you have someone that goes, 
who the fuck is that guy? You know, <laughs> that's exotic. It's it's and it just <laughs> catches and it worked and you know and that's how, you know, he was able to just catch people's, you know, just their thought of him was, hey, this guy's different, and then they watch him and he did do things different, and that's why he's the guy that he was as far as you know capturing the fans the way he did, and that's what everyone has been trying to emulate. Chael, Chael was the first guy that really started to become outlandish and mm-hmm. say things, you know, that people were like, is, is he serious? You know, you know, he would talk about, you know, Anderson Silva, I'm going to come to Brazil, you're going to bake me a barbecue, you know, and things, you know, obviously it was pro wrestling-esque, but people bought it. They liked it. And so you see a lot of fighters now following that same path some of them follow it a little bit. Some of them follow it completely. You know, few of them are good at it, in my opinion. Few of them are able to do it in the way. Well, I mean, True. Chael, I think, is the gold standard. Yeah, yeah, because McGregor was winning a lot of fights. Like McGregor had a really yeah, good record. He was winning a lot of fights. Completely different. And he had the the merit. Not that Chael wasn't a great fighter, he, and he he did right. beat a lot of the top contenders. But his mouth got him to where he was, and I think he'd be the first to admit that. Chael was a good fighter. Excellent fighter. Chael was a good in fighter. terms of grappling for sure. And but but if you looked at his Chael, record, Chael going, was not. A champion, correct. And well, yeah, you know, actually, he was. He, he, in my opinion, he, he won should have been the WEC champion. champion. He's a failure. But yeah. Connor, not only spoke it, he walked it. He went and won those championships. He won the featherweight champion. He won the lightweight champion. He did those things that when you're talking and then you perform, that's what makes someone special. Mm-hmm. Chael had the talk. He just could never finish that walk. Yeah. And so it, it, it's it's the difference of why they were at two different levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, refereeing, incredibly dif- difficult job. I think. Oh no! Ask you know, anyone; it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel bad because a lot of the times I'll pick things apart with a referee. Like for example, there was a referee named Gary Foreman. Do you know Gary Foreman? Yep. So Gary was a referee uh, in Boston. Yeah. He was the same referee that refed Mitrione versus Brown, where Mitrione had that yes. terrible eye injury that I I think he's still suffering effects from it today. Um, but one thing people had pointed out was that before and after the fight, he was, I guess, communicating with Travis Brown on social media. Um, so when you, when you see some, you know, someone uh, with that kind of a, a background, you don't see them refereeing for some time, and now they're back refereeing. I think people are able to look at that, and I think can, can say that that could be some sort of conflict. Now, that being said, when, when I see a lot of the different officials, especially even, even overseas in Denmark, and I don't, I've never heard of them, and you, you do some research, and a lot of them can be, it's, some of them are from the boxing world. How are referees credentialed? I know that you have your command program um, twice a year. Is it still twice a year? Yeah, once usually. <laughs> once a year. I'm lazy. How, what percentage of referees would you say have come through that program in mixed martial arts? Come through my program? Yes. Uh, well, let's see, that, that have actually come through it or passed. So that makes a difference. <laughs> You know, I, I've had let's a, go with past. I've passed probably there's yeah, let's say forty now that have passed. You know, refereeing maybe thirty. I don't know, not a lot. I don't pass a lot of people, but a lot of them are the ones you're seeing doing the top fights now. And uh, and then I have other guys. You know, the, the Jason Herzogs, Mike Beltrans. Um, you know, they're they're part of it. Um, Jaron Vallel from Canada. Jaron Vallel yeah. from Canada. Todd Anderson from Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've had a lot of success, guys that have been very successful and are now doing the, the, you know, the fights that are the bigger fights and doing a great job. Mark Goddard comes and he helps me when I teach. You know, he I usually do it somewhere around fight week in in Vegas to make it easy, and he's refing, so he comes and he helps. So I always try to bring the top guys not only to help teach me, 
you know, teach with me, but it gives a, a look of you can ask them any question. They're going to tell you the truth. And we all look at doing officiating the same way. There's guys that are outside of that box, but all of those guys, we, we look at officiating. You got to do it a certain way. You have to be a certain way. And, you know, you have to have a standard. And that standard is a high standard because it's important what you do. And when anybody can stand inside of a cage when two guys are fighting, and they can be fighting a great fight, but there's no decisions to be made, anybody can do it. It's when decisions need to be made and how you make them, that's what differentiates you from the next guy. Do you get annoyed when you see referees that have very limited qualifications in there? Absolutely. On the highest stage? pisses me off. It's just wrong because, again, this is where – you know, if I was God or if I was king, you know, MMA would change as far as it would be more like the NFL. It would be more like Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NBA. Those are organizations that govern their sports. Right now we have athletic commissions, and there's so many of them that they're individual little kingdoms that, you know, we had a big problem with the unified rules that certain commissions, I'm not, I'm not going cha- to do that rule. You don't have that right. You don't, you know, unfortunately they do because they're an individual government because in the United States, you know, the federal government doesn't want to impinge upon the state government in a lot of things. So in that they go, oh, we're not, we're not going to, you know, you guys sell that. So it should be the sport is the same no matter where you are in the world. You know, in Asia, it's different. And it's different, you know, in ways that, you know, some of the things that we allow, they don't. Some of the things that they allow, we don't. And that's just, it's wrong for the fans. It should be. If you're watching MMA, whether it's in California, New York, Toronto, Vancouver, or in China, it's the same. It's the same as it is with, you know, most basketball, baseball. If you're going to play American football, it's this way. If you're going to play soccer, it's this way. It needs to be one set of rules and one way. It's difficult because when I watch, I go, why would anybody want to do this? Why would anybody want to be a referee? The pay can't be much. No, it's you don't not. know where you're going to be from weekend to weekend yeah. for the most part. I don't know how long in, in advance you get your assignments. But I, I, for the life of me, can't understand. What, like, it's such a thankless job. Nobody's ever like, I love that referee well, yeah, for a consistent I, period of time because they'll make mistakes. Everybody does. It's a human, you know, this is a human sport. You know, this, it, this is like ballot counting. You can't put it through a machine and, and get it. You know, it's like hand counting ballots. There's, there's going to be a margin of error. It's so, you know, I... I I work with a lot of athletic commissions, and I train a lot of their people. And there, are, you know, there is a lot of nepotism with it. You know, oh, I know this person, and I tell them all the time, like, I don't care if you hate this guy. If you hate this guy, and he's the best one for the job, use him. I don't care if you love that guy. If he's not the best guy for the job, don't use him, because in the end, one of them's going to cause you a problem. You figure out which one it is. And it's not a matter of personalities. It doesn't matter who you like as a, you know, oh, personality-wise, I don't like that guy. You go with the best people you can because the best person is going to always put your commission in what we call a defensible position. If you have someone that puts you in an indefensible position, you got problems. And that's where people then sue, and that's when you have liability issues and things like that. And the training of officials is something that is it is lacking in MMA. And, you know, a lot of people, they see it, oh, I could be great at that, and it's not what you think. <laughs> and it's a lot of it is, you know, you, you get these people, then all of a sudden you'll see someone, and they're in that big fight all of a sudden. And you need to understand, you know, when, when Herb Dean or, you know, 
Mark Goddard or when I was doing a big fight, if I was doing a big fight at, at Madison Square Garden, you know, when I stepped into that cage for that big fight, my heart rate was at about, you know, 65 to 70 beats per minute. That's a little bit above what my norm is. Mm-hmm. All right. And because this is just another fight. It didn't matter that, oh, the fans think it's a big fight. It's just another fight. It's no different. Every fight is important, but it's just another one. And so when you get the guy that he's been wanting to be in that position, that's what his dream has been. Mm -hmm. And then he gets it. Now he walks in that cage, and while they're doing the fighter introductions, his heart rate's at about 140, 145 beats per minute because he's scared Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to make a mistake. And then if anything happens in that fight in the first minute, that he's got to make a decision, he's in trouble. Because mm-hmm. already, he's amped. I think there should be four ma- four referees that are qualified <laughs> to do main events, honestly, in the world. It, it seems that way. Because a lot of the times, recently especially, we've seen some regional cards where you have an unexperienced, I won't say unqualified, inexperienced yeah. referee doing a main event. And like you said, they look like a deer in headlights a lot of the Sometimes. time when they have to make a stoppage or they have to make a, a crucial decision. Sometimes. And that can... You know, one thing that came up recently was in California, they talked about Herb Dean stopping the Aspen Lad uh-huh. and uh, yeah, they Jermaine Duran to make they went, they went after her. And I thought that was a good stoppage. Not a great stoppage, but not a bad stoppage. Yeah, like it, it's a judgment call. That's yes. what I keep thinking about it. It's a judgment That's call it. because she got knocked down um, the ang- from the angle he was standing on in, which is also important because you're not watching it from a TV angle. Yeah, you're watching right. it from your exactly. own. She's on all fours and not moving. Yeah. She got hit with a right hand that spun her around. Yep. And dropped her, and you know, I talk. Herb talks to me all the time when he has a fight that goes bad, and, you know, and I'll tell him when, hey, you screwed up, or hey, you did a good job. And I'm not, I'm never going to lie to him because he needs someone to be honest with him and look at it. But when she got hit, she got spun around, dropped to her hands and knees, and didn't move. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing I will tell you that will kill you in an MMA fight is standing still, as because as you're standing still, someone's not, mm-hmm. and yeah. We need to see you move. And he made the decision. You can't deal with what happened. She just hit you with that hand. And he made the stop. Could he have let it gone just a little bit longer? Yeah, he could have. But was it going to change anything? No. And many times, this is what we'll do as a referee. You cannot show somebody the outcome. You can't show them that last nail in the coffin unless you let it happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes letting it happen is the worst thing that you can do. So you'll take care of the situation beforehand, which gives people the opportunity to go, oh, that was early. When if I could show you what was going to happen, you wouldn't like the result. You know, that just happened in the UFC. You talk about Mike Davis fought Thomas yeah. Gifford, mm-hmm. okay, that referee. This is a referee. Where is he from? Florida there. And this is his big chance. He's in, he always doing, a, doing fights in the UFC. This is where he's wanted to be. And he doesn't want to make a mistake. You know, I can tell you if I was doing that fight, if I was refereeing it, that fight was over. End of the first. Okay. Possibly. <laughs> but I can, guarantee, I can guarantee you there was never going to be a knockout. Yeah. Okay. That between the second and third, absolutely, trust me, you're going to see my hands waving. And I'm stopping the fight because you don't have a chance to win this. And I'm not going to let you just take punishment. This is when we talk about fighters get damaged. But I'm not going to let you take unnecessary damage. And now it's unnecessary because you can't win. You can't win on the cards. Both rounds were 10-8. And you don't have a puncher's chance of knocking this guy out. And you don't have a submitter's chance. You prove that to me also. Mm -hmm. So I stopped the fight, we'll say. And now you never know what was going to happen. You you never see that knockout that actually face plants him 
because it never occurs. Mm -hmm. And this is where people need to understand. Sometimes the referee's a lot smarter than you think. They do see things, and they do know things, and they, do, they are there to protect that fighter from that end result before it happens in certain fights that they can because it's the right thing to do. I've heard you talk about, talk about Rory versus Robbie before yeah. and refereeing that fight and how you were watching Rory for certain signs uh, because while Rory's output was more, he was taking definitely the more vicious shots. Yep. I recently rewatched that fight. The thing that I can't believe about that fight, you know, obviously the first time you watch it, it's like, wow, what a crazy <laughs> fight. But watching it back, the distance is what was crazy about. Like they were getting hit at the end of their punches from the from the start of the fight to the basically the finish. Big like shots. That's that's a tough one to referee, I'd imagine, from, oh. from your perspective. Well, what what made that one tough was the Robbie hit Rory with a shot in the first round that broke his nose, and it's not so much a broken nose is not that big a deal, but it is when you see the fighter starts to aspirate blood, and then he got cuts inside of his mouth, and so when he's not. He's not swallowing blood. People get this idea of, oh, he's swallowing blood. He is swallowing blood, but that doesn't matter. What he swallows is just going to be thrown up. It's what he breathes in. Because he can't breathe through his nose, he's sucking in through his mouth, and little particles of blood are going, and they're attaching themselves to his lung walls. And the, disposa- you know, the dispensation of the oxygen from his lungs into his body is now compensated and it's becoming problematic the longer the fight goes the more problematic it becomes and you could see you know Robbie would come out Roy would come out Roy would start lighting Robbie up and then he'd start to just slow down because he can't maintain that pace because he can't get the air transfer that he needs and that was my real concern because you know guys can actually die from that mm-hmm. yeah. so when yeah, I'm watching their lungs, exactly yeah. I'm watching to make sure Am I going to let this go? Or am I going to be the guy that's going to come in? And I, you know, I was close to stopping that fight, you know, near the end there. And, and you know, when he finally went down, I was like, "That's good. Thank you very much." Yeah. He gave he gave me Rory the. Rory wasn't out when that happened, but no, but the, he was out of the fight. Out of the fight, just time time to call it. He gave everything he could give. He was you winning the fight up to you, that point. Yeah, and you can't get you can't ask anything more of him. He gave everything he had. He was winning, and he just couldn't maintain himself in the fight. Did you watch this past weekend's card by any chance? Yes. The card? So I want to just ask you, you basically are the person that brought intelligent defense into uh, mixed martial arts. Yeah. Two fights I want to look at were Jeremy Stevens and Yair. Okay. Uh, and Jillian uh, Robertson and Macy Barber. Yeah. So in one situation. Yeah, totally different, aren't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> that, that's what I want to figure That's what I think a lot of people don't understand. It's all right. So um, Yair knocks Stevens down. He, he Stevens... Is getting hit back, you know. He's getting hit. He's getting yep. hit inside of the head. Yep. He's, but he's still shooting for takedowns. He's yep. still trying to to show the referee. I think that that's an experience thing. That's the difference between these I two fights. I thought Kevin McDonald was the referee the of the Yaru Rodriguez Jeremy Stevens. He did a fantastic mm-hmm. job because yeah. he did exactly what he was supposed to do in that situation by watching and understanding what was going on. What put Jeremy down? I can't remember. What it, was was it? it was a kick to the body. To, yeah, body kick. Mm-hmm. Okay, which means. Yeah, and and most of the time when you're in there, you hear the air go out of the guy. You hear this, <laughs> and you're, because uh, they're trying to suck in air, and they can't. And it's a horrible experience that you have to continue to fight while you can't breathe, and then someone's now on top of you, punching you in the head. But everything that Jeremy was trying, he was transitioning, trying different things, trying to get his air back, and trying to get himself to a position where your air couldn't hurt him, it was the exact situation that we tell guys, you've got to let this go. 
his brain has not been scrambled. His body has been shut down. Yeah, it's been compromised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by that kick. And so as long as he's trying, we're going to let him go. And Kevin did a great job, and that's why that fight you know, went on like it did because Jeremy kept trying to move. He kept trying to change position. He kept trying to you know, grab for a leg, see if he could get it you know, in close so he could protect himself. All those things that you're looking for, he was doing. When you're looking at the Macy Barber uh, Jillian fight, Macy was hitting her with big shots, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and small female fighters, very few can actually generate a lot of power with a punch. You know, women's MMA has been very successful based upon the fact that they can also knee, they can also kick, and they can also submit, and that has made it to where it's not like women's boxing because a lot of times, lighter weight fighters, not just you know women but men can't generate enough power with left and right hand to put somebody down with just one shot. And Macy has got power, but obviously not enough to put someone down with one shot, but it's the volume of what she was hitting Jillian with, and it was Jillian's reaction. When you start to take your eyes off of your opponent, your opponent doesn't go away. Okay, Only your ability to see them goes away, and that's what you started to see with Jillian. Jillian started turning her head, and started putting herself in positions where now she's just a punching bag. Mm-hmm. And she's not responding. And she was throwing punches she, in response, but they, she, they weren't. They were, yeah. She's just yeah. trying to throw back, mm-hmm. but nothing that you look at and you go, that's a good, that's a good offensive technique. Mm-hmm. And so the referee in that is looking at and going, you know what, hey, I'm, you know, fight back. And they're not getting that response they want to see. And they're seeing one fighter just systematically get dominated by more volume, more, and there's just going down this, the water's starting to get deeper and deeper. Now it's starting to cover their head, and the, and the referee, before mm-hmm. she hit the ground, yep. pulled her out and stopped the fight. Mm-hmm. And he helped protect her career. Mm-hmm. She, she got a loss, yes, but that is going to give her the ability to come back, train again, figure out where she made mistakes, and not have the damage that... When if he had let it go, you were going to see that exact thing where now she gets hit to the point she's now she's on the ground, maybe knocked out, and now she's got a lot more serious issues to deal with in coming back than what you're presented with with what occurred. I don't think people thought that was a bad stoppage by any means. I'm just curious about the uh, the differences in intelligent defense, why one is intelligent defense and why one isn't, because I don't think a lot of people really grasp that idea. Yeah, and it was you know Jeremy is it's not that you're not getting hit. Not that you're not getting, you know, damage is not is being inflicted upon you, but you're intelligently trying to stop it. And when you're Jillian, you're getting hit and you're getting hurt. And what are you doing to intelligently try to stop it? Nothing. And that's the difference. Are you claustrophobic at all? Not at all. Okay, because I saw you were stuck in an elevator. I was stuck in <laughs> that was that was hysterical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How long were you in there for? About an hour. Oh wow, that sucks. Oh, it got hot because <laughs> it was in Italy. It was in Milan, Italy, and it was a honest to god. The footprint was. Four of these squares right here. So, you know, that was nine people. Was that your wife with you, by the way? Oh, yeah, my wife was she in looked, there. She did not look pleased in those pictures. Oh, she was not pleased at all. <laughs> her, it was, there was three women in there, six men, three women. Uh, Victoria Gracie, she was not happy at all. She is claustrophobic. My wife's kind of claustrophobic, and I guess the other woman. And I was trying to make and you're light. not the smallest of guys either. Oh, no, and, and we were <laughs> packed in there, and then it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And you know, I, I was trying to, you know, I, I turned on my phone. I was playing Sweet Caroline, you know, trying to, you know, make it light. And we were going, da, da, da. <laughs> that didn't help. All the guys were laughing. None of the women were laughing. So, 
Yeah, we were in there for a while. My wife, my wife climbed. I think we were on the seventeenth floor. That was the second floor. She walked. <laughs> I went right into the next elevator. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Up there, right? <laughs> yeah. She's she was not a happy camper. Yeah, that's uh, that's an experience that I think a lot of people fear if they're claustrophobic. But since you're not claustrophobic, you're, you yeah. seem like you're okay with it. No, it's all right. Um, the California State Athletic Commission also talked about uh, weight cutting recently. They're, they're making yeah. some changes. They're going to cancel fights potentially. If I, I don't even know if it's potentially, I think they're going to nope. cancel fights. I, I, I talked with Andy Foster about it and you know, explained. It. In fact, I made a mistake on my podcast. I said uh, they have the ability to either cancel the fight or to fine and allow the fight to go on if it's over fifteen mm-hmm. percent, depending upon what that percentage is. And he took that away. He made it to where nope, I don't it's have canceled. that choice. Yep. It is canceled. So he, and he did that for reasons. He explained those reasons to me, and I understand them because it takes the ability for you know any promotion to sit there and say, "Oh, you did it," you know, for this promotion, you didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Takes all that away. Yeah, that's smart. That part I like. Yeah, yeah, it, it is smart. So but my question about this is, you know, weight cutting obviously is a, is an issue in, in mixed martial arts. It, is. it has been and will continue to be. I yep. think. But why are they regulating? Like, in order for somebody to make sure they're not fifteen percent. Over that next day, they're going to have to make weight again. Essentially, no. You don't think so? It's just not true. Okay. Yeah. You know, and and you know, my partner on my podcast is uh, Josh Thompson, who mm-hmm. you know, fought at lightweight, walks around one seventy one, one seventy two. All right, that's your fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and that's okay. what he walks around at. That's what he walks around. But there at. are people that walk around, like Kiesa when he uh, fought at one fifty five was one ninety two. But Kiesa <laughs> was losing too much weight. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is for is, look, we're not telling you that you can't cut weight. We're not telling you that, you know, hey, we understand that you want to be, you know, bigger in the fight. But when you are trying to do it to the detriment of your health, we've got to try to figure out what we can do to help you with your health, even though you're not trying to, by limiting what you can do. And when you had guys, you know, you have certain guys, you know, Michael Chiesa is a perfect example George Masvidal is a, is a great example of it because you know, and I, I'm not taking any credit for this at all, but you know George Masvidal was fighting at 155 pounds for a long time, and after one of his fights, I'm standing there talking to him, and I said, "Why?" You know, because he would, as the rounds went on, he was dying out, and it wasn't that he wasn't in shape, it wasn't that he wasn't training, it was his body was shutting down on him because he had lost so much weight in his weight cut. And I said, why are you losing? I said, why are you not going to 170 pounds? He goes, those guys are too big. And I go, George, they're not. I go, you are not the guy, even at 155 pounds, that tries to out-muscle guys, tries to out-big them, out-strength them. I said, you technically beat people. You beat them with technical skill. You pick them apart. That's your game. I go, if you go from 155 to 170, you're going to be the faster guy. And you're still going to have that technical game. You're not going to try to outmuscle guys. And if they try to outmuscle you, they can put you into the cage. I'm not saying that, that they can't do that. I said, but it's going to be for a round. And then it's over because then they're the ones that are tired and you have gas. And you look and he goes, you know, and he eventually moved up. And look at how successful he's been. And we have shown there's a whole lot of guys that are doing this, and they are being successful, moving up in weight classes. There's, have, we have had this entire mentality from MMA that I need to be the bigger, stronger guy. When I'm telling you right now, I don't worry about having to fight the bigger, stronger guy. 
I worry about fighting the guy that's fast. The guy that's fast gives me freaking heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. I have a giant headache thinking about having to deal with that person because I now have to do things that are different to try to compensate for their speed, and that presents problems and puts me in danger. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about the bigger, stronger guy. So That's why Colby's so good. He probably walks around at like 180. He's not a big guy. No, not a huge fast. guy, but he's fast. And you see the guys that are now doing well at certain weights, they're the faster guy. Mm-hmm. Kelvin Gastelum, Kelvin, you know, and I, man, yeah. Kelvin Gastelum at one seventy was nothing, you know. And I'm not, 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 you know, disparagingly say that, but he was so gassed by the end of the first round. If it went that far, he was done. Mm-hmm. And you look at him now, man. That that fight that he had against Adesanya, holy Christ! And what you know, what it takes for a guy of his size, as far as his frame, to get inside on Adesanya yeah. and all the work that he did. That is exhausting. He was at 60% for that fight, he said, too. Yeah. They had, like, a bad infection of some sort. Yeah. Like staff came back or something. You know, it, it's being that bigger, stronger guy, it, hopefully I think it's going to be a thing that's starting to move towards the past. What do you think of IV hyd- rehydration? I know Bellator, I don't think, has a rule against it. But um, in the UFC, I, I think that's a, a problem that they don't have it anymore. I think well, that, that, that in was, order to replenish people's brains faster. Yeah, that was USADA. I, I, yeah. You know, and, the and reason why, though, is from cycling, like bicycling. Well, no, it's from any type of... <clears throat> Excuse me. Any type of athletic activity, you know, if you want to try to d- dilute the amount of you know you have in your system, you put water in it and you start peeing it all out. And so guys were taking huge amounts of yeah, you know, water and, yeah, and taking EPO, EPO and then yeah. trying to flush it out. And so you know the, the World Anti Doping Agency, WADA, and USADA came out and said, okay, no IVs. And that was to try to compensate for these guys trying to dilute. So basically, in the end, they were pissing out just water. Yeah. And it became a problem, you know, for them. So that was why the IVs went. And when they came into MMA, because it was the UFC that brought them into MMA to be the people that, you know, did this drug program for them, they said, we can't have IVs. Well, IVs was a big part uh, of MMA. I think they should allow them in competition. I, like, I'm okay with it. I think out of competition, I get it. But in competition, like if, if the UFC, somebody from their PI or, or USADA or the commission were able to uh, like personally um, implement them or whatever, after a weigh-in, you, do your, you weigh in, you give a sample or whatever, then you can get an IV. I don't see no, I, I look at it the same way. If you're going to do it, you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You, after the weigh-ins... You can have an IV from this person, mm-hmm. and you have yeah, you have exactly. the, you have those tables set up. You have those people there. You want the IV? Here you go. And USADA is there. He's more concerned with fighter safety. Yes, I because mean. you have USADA test you before you yeah. get the IV. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and you'll be fine. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm glad someone's on the same page. I keep I keep <laughs> saying this, and it seems like I'm I'm uh, yelling into an empty room. There's no perfect involved, and everyone wants a perfect. And USADA has its place, and and they've done really good things, and they've done really bad things, not because they're trying to do bad things, but you look and you go, come on, you've got to be smarter about this. You can't, the world is not black and white. There's a lot of gray. And they have, you know, they've done things with people's careers where, you know, they're having a huge effect when the person didn't do anything wrong. That's a problem. I want to ask you about John Jones. He, he said he didn't want you to referee his fights. Do you have any clue why that is? He said you, yeah, you, there was a certain energy you brought to the table. Oh, yeah, I'm bad energy. <laughs> Everybody in here seems happy. You know, Danny looks a bit tired. John is John is looking at the fact that uh, 
you know, he does certain things in fights, and I don't allow it to happen. He does certain things with, you know, his fingers out, you know, eye pokes. And I had had a fight with him uh, here in Canada, here in Toronto, and it was Vitor Belfort. And, you know, I had talked to John before the fight, you know, because when we, we talk about, you know, in the back talking to fighters, you don't talk so much about don't do this, don't do that. This is a foul, you know. You're talking about bout conduct and, hey, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I expect of you. This is what you can expect of me because I want him to know when I'm going to be coming in, what I, when I'm saying something, what I need for him to do in response because that's all part of, you know, allowing his fight to go on. But, you know, I talked to John about dragging his hand on the ground, doing his little spider crawl out towards his opponent because he'd, he'd started doing it for a couple of fights. And I told him, I said, hey, be very careful you do that. I said, your natural response, if somebody does something, is you're going to bring your hand up to defend yourself because that's what you're used to doing. So you're going to be a guy squatted down on your feet with your hands in the air, which means you can be kicked to the head. So I would suggest don't do that. And what did he do? He came out and you know, did that, and Vitor launched a kick. Now, it doesn't matter that he's down when he launches the kick because what is he launching the kick towards? I can't say. But when his hand comes off the ground and the kick has not even touched him yet, and now his hand is up off of the ground and the kick goes by his head, John looks at me and says, you want to play the game, that's what you're going to get because it would have been legal. And I was watching for it. So it was easy for me at the time. It's fast, but I was... As soon as I saw him coming out, I'm watching his hand, right, just to see where he's at. And I'm looking at it, and I see the kick, and I see his hand come off the ground. And I go, it's going to be legal. And it goes by his head. And so that was, that was John's problem with me. Just that one little thing? That was a little it. nuance. Well, wow. it's a, it's a, well, you know, you look and you, you're always trying to make things work for you. And John is a smart enough athlete. He wants things to work for him. You know, after, you know, I did his, his fight with Cormier, and he goes, he says, you could referee me anytime, right? And it's like, okay, whatever. I don't worry about it. So you um you work with Bellator now. You're the, the color commentator. Yes, sir. This is your second foray into media. You actually were with the Fight Network for some time. Yeah, that was a, that was that <laughs> didn't was go a, well. <laughs> that well, whole thing didn't go very well. There there was whole reasons for everything, and you know it worked out the way it was supposed to in the end. I went back and did you know the refereeing, which I wanted to do. So uh, there was reasons I left and I got that little gig, but the gig didn't work out. So it was actually shorter than it was supposed to be because it's supposed to be a year, but it's all right. From what I understand, Viacom have more money than the Fight Network's owners. So. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably a little bit more comfortable in this. Uh, yeah, this a lot more. One. I want to ask you about Aaron Pico. Now, the reason I want to ask you about him is I still consider him to be a, one of the top prospects in the Absolutely sport. Absolutely he seen, is. Absolutely he is. His striking is unbelievable. Unbelievable. His wrestling in that last fight, you, you can see, is still at that same high level. And so, now my problem. I've got to merge those yeah. two together. So. That needs to happen, and when that happens, do you think he's going to be a champion? Like, I mean, yes. the chin is an issue. The, the striking defense obviously is an issue, but it's an issue that can be corrected. Yes. Aaron Pico is special. But what people need to realize is this. I don't care how good you are. You could take Jordan Burroughs, who is as good a wrestler as you will find right now. Right? Actually one of the best ever. Yep. Fast, explosive, strong, all those things. Put him against a top MMA fighter right now, and he's going to get his ass beat. Okay, because he's a wrestler. Aaron Pico was a wrestler that has boxing ability and you know boxed Golden Gloves. He does train with Fet Freddie Roach down at Wild Card, and he has been the sparring partner for guys like Miguel Cotto, and and he's a good boxer. And I will tell you straight out, we were doing the contenders the the, the second time, 
and Freddie was one of the uh, trainers for it, and we were at lunch and talking, and you know, and, and we were talking about Aaron, and he goes, John, he goes, he could be a world. He, says, he goes, if the contenders was at welterweight, he goes, Aaron Pico would win it. He goes, this kid could be a champion. He goes, two years, give me two years with him. He says he'd be a world champion in boxing. He's one of the few guys I've seen that are able to adapt boxing so well to MMA. Where, like those body shots he throws are oh, beautiful. vicious and That left hook to the body mm-hmm. is just, and it's technically done so uh, well. It's unbelievable. That's the part that you get you. But what Aaron has done, and, and this is in Aaron's handlers, and some of it has to do with his family, is you know they're pushing him. And they're pushing him in the fact of, if you're Bellator, you're a promoter, and you're saying, hey, I, I signed you. I want you. Now, I will give you fights. A.J. McKee is a perfect example. He used to be a teammate of Aaron Pico. A.J. McKee comes into Bellator. He's 0-0 as a fighter, same as Aaron Pico was. And A.J. came from the same amateur program that a lot of guys have. Dominic Reyes, who just beat Chris Wyman, was part of the U of MMA. A.J. McKee was part of the U of MMA which was a small amateur promotion, really done very well at you know uh, L.A. Live Center at the Nokia. But A.J. and his father made a decision when they entered Bellator, we're going to take some of these 0-0 fighters also. We're going to take these 1-0 or 0-1 fighters in some of our first fights to get us used to the experience of being in the cage, dealing with adversity. And so you're going to get paid less taking those fights because they're lesser fights for you. Aaron Pico's handlers basically said, we want the big fights. We got a guy that's so good at wrestling, so good in the stand-up, that we're going to be a world champion within a year and a half. That was a bad decision. He needed the experience, he ne- and he still does. And I think that's one of the things, at least, you know, I talked with Greg Jackson, who he is training with. Greg knows exactly what Aaron needs. He's got to deal with, you know, the the personalities surrounding him, and that's not an easy thing to do at times, but Greg knows, hey, we need to back this off. Let me get this kid some experience. Bellator gave him a couple of those and then put him right back in after you know he had his first you know fight against Zach. He lost that. Gave him a couple that, hey, you should do okay in these. And then yeah, back in the deep end. <laughs> put, him back with, put him with Higo, and he looked good. And then the Corrales... Made a mistake, and that's a mistake in maturity and understanding. Let me back off. I didn't put you away right now. It's okay. And that's just, that comes with maturity and, and understanding the fight game and your fight IQ. Then he ended up having the one with Borch, and he's doing beautifully. And that was with, you know, Greg Jackson in his corner. He's wrestling, but he just, that's the problem. He was only wrestling. Borch says, historically, even before that, had some big flying knee finishes. Big flying knee finishes, mm-hmm. and is very good at defending himself on the ground. And it's frustrating if you're Aaron Pico and you're wrestling, but you can't strike him. Mm-hmm. It's just not working for you. And so then you start looking for those other, and that's when bad things start to happen. So Aaron Pico has a great career ahead of him as long as they follow the right path. Let's get him some fights. You know, he's, what, 4-3 and three right now, I think, as a fighter. He's got – get him to 10-3. and three. He's going to be a different guy. Okay, and those fights are out there for him. And, and you can start to build him up as far as, you know, the level as you're getting towards that 8, 9, 10. Bring it up. And all of that experience is going to lend itself to him being a champion down the road. Yeah, and Bellator does do a great job of building prospects. Bell- I mean, Ed Ruth is fighting on Friday. Bellator does the, the best job of building prospects from the ground up. 
You know, you could talk about, you know, the UFC, they, you really don't get that opportunity there. You know, they, they're bringing in guys, you know, usually that have been, you know, LFA champion or things like that. There's not a whole lot of people they bring in. You know, Greg Hardy would actually be one that was basically a young fighter that they're trying to build. I actually thought Greg Hardy looked great this weekend. He did look a good. Of, a lot of people were saying, oh, the guy fights like garbage. And I was like, no, no you know what? He's no, a, he's actually yeah. fighting like an actual fighter yeah. now. Yeah, he was controlling distance. He was doing a really good job, I thought. Yeah. Uh, obviously, against being tougher g- isn't excusable. But Man, that's <laughs> not his fault. That, yeah. that was the commission's fault. Mm-hmm. And probably uh, his team to an extent, too, having it with them. They should know better. It's never, they should if you know could, better. If you could have a puffer in the corner, everybody would have everyone a puffer. Everyone have in the a puffer in the corner. I was going to go on Twitter afterwards <laughs> and say, I'm, I'm opening up my own <laughs> online puffer store for uh, MMA athletes, 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, it's a, but Bellator does a phenomenal job. You take a look at the guys that have come up in Bellator and how good they are. Look at, you know, just look at our, the Featherweight Grand Prix. You know, you can look at all those fighters, Borch being in there, AJ McKee. Oof, the champion yeah. in Patricio Ferrer, look at Pedro Carvalho, um, Daniel Valle, all of them. I mean, there's, they've had those guys either from a young point or a lot of fights in their career. Bellator does a fantastic job of building guys. It's hard because I feel for a guy like uh, Patricio when people are discussing the best in the sport and his name doesn't come up. That's wrong. Because they just I mean, don't know. He beat Michael Chandler. The guy's oh. more of a bantamweight than a, than a lightweight, probably. Yep. Absolutely. Like, the guy's the guy's unreal. He's so good. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm being honest, and I know everyone's gonna. I'm gonna get just blasted. The best guys out there, if you're looking in the featherweight, you want to say, okay, Max Holloway is absolutely up there. Brian Ortega is a guy that's up there. You know, Frankie just lost and everything. I tell you what, Patricio, on any given day, will beat any of them. Now, I'm not saying that they can't beat him too. There's a possibility. I'll tell you what, I'll take him. I'll put the money down on Patricio. Because I know he's going to be the underdog because all the, the yeah, betting he people. Is. And that's great. Because, <laughs> Even now. Yeah. He just keeps winning. He understands how to control a fight. He understands. He's got an unbelievable guillotine attack. He is so good on the ground. You can't keep him on his back if you put him there. The only way you can get him is if you touch his chin with a, multiple shots. Yeah, he can be put out like any human being can. But he has so much power in his hands. Most guys don't. They, they, they're very cautious in getting in close to him because they're worried about being hit by him. Well, the thing I think he does better than almost anybody in the sport, maybe better than anybody in the sport, is he knows when to put his foot on the gas. Like yep. he just he's he knows exactly when and the right moment is, and he knows so when to withdraw. Calm. So, yeah. Exactly, and that's the difference. That's you know when you're talking about the Aaron Pico, Patricio knows. Boy, you see him. Oh, wow, 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 and boom, he backs mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And you look and you go, oh, that was smart. For that you know? Pico Corrales fight, I was like, Pico's about to get knocked out. When I was watching it, I, 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 in my head, I go, he's, he's, I go, he's, Corrales is dangerous. Like, I've oh. watched a lot of Corrales. Yeah. He's dangerous. Yeah. And when they got in that firefight, I'm like, he's going to get put out. And, it, and I felt bad because when I was watching it, I was like, God, Pico was picking him apart. He was, he was landing those, those body shots we were talking about. Like, he, oh, yeah. He was doing, he heard he was him. doing really well. He heard him. And then and it, just, just, it's the wrong guy. <laughs> it's the wrong guy to do that. In too. that moment <laughs> of just step back. He stepped forward, and that was the difference in the fight. He got hit with that shot and then got hit with two more as he went down, and he was out. You know, and that, that can happen, and that's all part of learning. So there's a lot of great fights this uh, Friday and Saturday. Incredible fights. So Friday, it's on Paramount, is that right? So yes. Paramount and The Zone. Um, Mir versus Nelson, that's a, that's a fun one. That's I mean, a rehash. Mir, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting rehash of it is. two guys that everybody knows. Well, especially, you know, both of them, they need a win. Mm-hmm. Neither guy can walk out of this being the guy that lost. So you're looking at it saying, hopefully, that's what's going to make this 
really good fight. Now, Frank knows how he can beat Roy, and Roy knows how he can beat Frank. He doesn't have his daughter in his corner yeah. again, does he? I don't know. That was bad. <laughs> no, no, like that was that. bad. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> that was upsetting to watch. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> one of those, you know, it's a choice made, and I understand it. And, you know, I can absolutely say, okay, I see why you're doing it. It's, it's no different than when uh, Antonio McKee fought. Yeah. In the show in Los Angeles before his son. Yeah. yeah I was like, problem. that's a bad idea. Yeah. And the Gozalis yeah. do it also on the yep. Bellator. So. Yep. So, and Ed Ruth is coming back against Jason Jackson. Yeah, Jason that's Jackson's a great a fight. Yeah. You know what? Jay- and Jason is. Can't even call him a prospect. You can't. That's yeah. why he's not a prospect. Jason is a dynamite fighter. Mm-hmm. He is really good. And he's had some bad, you know, he, he went on the Dana White Contender Series. He was on tough also. And he twisted him. his yeah. ankle during the fight. I you watched that. it and he, and he lost due to his ankle. And you go, man, what a bad break. And then he was on the, the tough when they had the two teams yeah. between Black Zillions and American yeah, Top Team. And stuff. Piece, yeah. Yeah, 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 all those things happen. But that's a great matchup with Ed. Ed is a guy, you know, just so good on the, you know, in his wrestling ability. He's got good ground, but, you know, Neiman Gracie showed a blueprint on, hey, push the pace on him. So we'll see what Jason Jackson does. He doesn't have, doesn't have that five round like Neiman had, but. Jason can bring the heat, and if he starts landing big shots, you're going to see Ed Ruth definitely trying to take him down. And when Ruth got signed, I thought, this guy's going to be a future champion. You look at his yeah. length, it's unbelievable, with oh. the wrestling pedigree. Spe- well, and, and he started at 185, yeah. and you looked, and you talk about a guy that was not cutting. You know, he was walking around at 186 pounds. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't cut at all, and so now he's cutting down to 170, but he looks great. What's he's his reach? It's, it's like 80-something. I think it's, it's 81. Yeah. He's huge. At, at 170, Dude, he's, it's unbelievable. Huge. Well, he's got a big back. Long arms, he's got it all. You know, I said for a long time, this is my that was my guy. Somewhere along the way, it's just a matter of time. Ed Ruth is going to be a champion. So I think I've got to get you out of here, but I want to bring up a couple more things for, the, for these cards this weekend. Jake Hager's fighting the most accomplished guy that he's fought, a four and two fighter, Anthony Garrett. What can you tell me about Anthony? Anthony is first off, he's huge. He's very he's very similar to Jake Hager in body structure, just a little bit bigger. Very aggressive, ex football player. He is a guy who likes to take the fight to the ground. So this is interesting because neither guy is great on their feet. I will tell you that Anthony Garrett's better on his feet than Jake Hager right now. He's got the straighter, harder shots. But he likes he likes to follow his shots and get in on the takedown. Now, I don't know if he can get Jake down to the ground with a typical wrestling technique because Jake's got the better background when it comes to that. But Garrett is strong. Big guy, and he's got he's got a motor. Well, he will put the pace on you. It's just a matter if he ends up underneath Jake, he's going to be in trouble. If he ends up on top of Jake, Jake's going to be in trouble. And for years, whenever I ask people at um, TriStar who they think can be a future champion, who their best prospect is, who do you think they say? At TriStar now. God, tell me, man. I'm Mandel trying. Nello. He's oh, on the card. Yeah, man. that's unbelievable. He doesn't fight. I know, you know he, he's, he, it's he, crazy. he doesn't fight as often as he should, but no, he he's fighting a real, like a really highly regarded guy, Mota. Mota oh, was, Mota's really good. Fought for the good. LFA championship. Yeah. He was a big favorite in that fight and lost. Yep. But lost like with 15 seconds left of the fight. Yeah. You know, and uh, I love his first name, Kilo Mota. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, Mota is good, and he's good everywhere. He fights with Glover Teixeira, uh, trains with him, and he's good everywhere. But Nalo is good everywhere. And this is this is a very close matchup. And my only thing with Nalo is he just doesn't fight. He's like one fight a year. 
but he's got a wife that's a doctor here in Canada, and he's like, well, I don't have to fight. Like, okay, you, yeah. know, you, you know what you're doing. But, yeah, he is phenomenal. Yeah, the guys that try to make thousands of dollars on his fight with Banks, he was an underdog in that fight, and they just all bet the house on him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a favorite by the time it came through, probably just on TriStar money alone coming I, in on that fight. You know, they I, just know how good this I guy is. I remember going into that fight, you know, I was you know, talking to both guys, and, and Carrington was thinking he was going to walk through, and I'm like, you have not <laughs> been watching this guy because Mandel Nalo is good. He just needs to fight more. And, of course, R- uh, Rory versus Lima, number two. Man. Bellator, 232. Come on. The, the crazy honest. thing about that is. Be honest. I want you to tell me. Tell me what's the better fight anywhere going on this week. This week, I mean, not even close. I mean, there's two welterweights obviously competing in the UFC, but I mean, these are two guys, and I mean, Askren has beaten Lima before, but when you look at Rory McDonald and Lima, the crazy thing about put put Askren and Lima together now, yeah, that's oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But with uh, with Lima and Rory, the thing that's crazy about it is you have that whole Grand Prix that that was the last title fight before the Grand Prix. Everybody knew those guys were probably the two best welterweights in the the division, and they go through the the Grand Prix Uh, and they're they're back again. But they did exactly what they were supposed to. One hundred percent. And but it's great to see. Yeah, it's just the way that Lima went through his competition. You got to be impressed because, mm-hmm. well, Rory with the Fitch fight. I mean, that was people thought he was going to retire after. Man, that. I, you know, I, I was the one interviewing him after, and he said something. I was like, I interviewed him right before that fight. Yeah, and he, we the whole. Were you here for that? No, um, I think uh, CJ was here for that, and. The, at about two minutes into the interview, it just took a turn to talking about Christianity and how much it meant to him and what, what he did in his spare time and, and how he's gravitated towards that. And um, he, at that, one of the questions I asked him is, like, with these new beliefs, like, how do you rationalize hurting another man and trying to— So you're the reason that he had that question. Well, he, he had been questioning himself about it for some time, okay. apparently. <laughs> I said, how do you rationalize hurting another human being and trying to essentially kill them until somebody get, stops you from doing so? In order to make money, like, how do you get those two things to, to like, what's the marriage between those two things? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I'm still working through that. Okay. So that was a work. In, and I think once that Fitch fight happened, that's when he had to confront yeah. that thing and figure out how can I get these two things to coexist and rationalize why I'm doing this. The, the, you know, the truth of the matter is this. It's a fight. And fighting is, you know, a lot of people are scared by fighting. Now, you know, Rory is not scared by fighting. I'm not <laughs> <No>. saying that. <laughs> But a lot of people outside of it, they look at it because all they deal with when they're they're looking at a fight is how they personally, if someone you know verbally attacks them, physically attacks them, that feeling that they get, and it's bad, and oh my god, it's horrible. When you're Rory McDonald, are you trying to kill this guy? No. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to win. Okay. Now, is damage part of what we do? Yeah, it is. But the Lord is okay with you working hard. And what is Rory doing when he is in the cage? He's working hard. What are you working hard at? I'm working hard at getting a win. I'm working hard at feeding my family. I'm working hard at making my family's life better. That's all that you have to understand, and you're going to be just fine. Rory, I think, has come to grips with it's okay to do what I do. I think before he had that, you know, and I talked to him, he's got a meanness about him. He doesn't, he's a very intellectual guy. Mm-hmm. He's very quiet. He, he analyzes everything, you know, but doesn't come out with you know big statements or anything, but his fight IQ is incredibly high. And it's just a matter of he used to have that, you know, it's what I call meanness. It's when he fought Carlos Condit. I used to say the two fighters that were, they're just mean inside the cage. Josh Barnett was one, Carlos Condit was another. And then I watched when Roy McDonald was fighting Carlos, I go, I got another mean one. <laughs> and he was, and you know, it, it's, he's, he's got that back now. He knows he needs it to beat Douglas, mm-hmm. 
and I think mentally he's in the right place now. Watching that Fitch fight after interviewing him was weird because when Fitch had him on the ground, um, I, I said he's talking to God. I, I, I could see he was thinking, like that he was not yeah. thinking about where he was positionally. He was thinking about something else. Yeah, it's bad. It was, and you can't obviously can't be in that position. Although in that particular situation, I guess you you can have a little <laughs> bit of. Luck. I mean, if, if the guys, I mean, Fitch is known to do this and hold you down, and that's how he wins fights, and that's that's great. Yeah, and he's I great mean, at it. Yeah. But you you can't afford to, I guess, think about something else at that point in time. You're not. No, in, when you're in, in the middle of that, you got to be danger. thinking about getting out of there because that's a real problem. <laughs> he didn't need to get out of there. That he was not doing. Yeah. Robin Van Roosmalen, who we talked about earlier, he's debuting. Robin is yeah. man. He is going to be. Robin, you got if you're calling yeah, his fights, yeah. he's going to get mad. Yeah. It, he is Joe Valtteri so told good. me this, my co-host. <laughs> can't call him, he says yeah. I can't call him Robin. Robin von Rosmullen. Mm. But he is so good in the kickboxing. But it's going to take a while for him to you know, change it over. Like I said, you can't be that guy that does everything. It's a different distance. It's a different style. But we expect big things out of, you know, two ti- was he two-time glory champion? Yeah, Light, two division, lightweight two and featherweight. Yeah, yeah, two division. And uh, two other big prospects, Patrick Mix, who uh, has a late-notice opponent. He's a stud. Oh. And Lance Gibson Jr. making his debut. Yeah. Canadian. See, and the big thing, you got to get zone to make sure that you can win. Lance Gibson Jr. is going to be special. Well, that one you can probably watch on Bellator.com. You I'd might imagine, be able to, but it's, it's, it's yeah. all on the DAZN app. It's on zone, yeah. But to watch the, uh, the Patch Mick, Patchy Mix... We call him the backpack because as soon as he gets your back, you can't get him off. And, and I, I can tell you, in guys in training, guys that were way heavier guys, world champions in certain organizations, have said, I couldn't get that little bastard off of me. <laughs> he has got a style. He is, I mean, he, you got to figure that when they, they brought him in 10 and 0, put him against Ricky Bandejas who had knocked out Gallagher, had had a great fight against Archuleta, almost won that one, and they and it was like a minute 30 over rear naked choke. Pat Mix is a stud. This kid is the future. And finally, one fight that could probably headline another Bellator event, I think it's third from the top on this card, is uh, Vitaly Minikov versus Javier Ayala. Yeah, you know, in Minikov... This is a big fight for Minikov because he wins this fight, he gets a championship fight. Mm-hmm. He stumbled, I guess it was against Congo, right? This is the one he yeah, lost. Yeah, he lost that lost. one against Congo. He was like twenty and, and zero before that or something. Twenty one and zero going mm-hmm. into that, but yeah. he had and he got sick. He started taking. Oh, is that in. what happened? Yeah, he did, and it was the truth. There's, you know, I'm not. It's not like something he just said. He got taken and he he started taking antibiotics, and anytime you take antibiotics, it's going to have an effect on your conditioning. You just your your air transfer is just. It's compensated by it, and so he had a hard fight against Congo. A lot of people still thought he won the fight, but it was a close one, and he lost a split decision. And nothing wrong, you know. That everyone says that's controversial. It's not controversy. It's a close fight. Two fight, two judges went one way, one went the other. But you know, he came back with a big win against Johnson and showed you know how much power he has in that right hand because he just he put Johnson out. And if he can do that, Javi Ayala is on a high. You know, especially off of that Frank Mir fight and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was he, a good win. Yeah, that big win against Karatanov with that big knockoff, knockout not, and ends up beating Frank, was on the ground with Frank, survived that, got a lot of confidence from that, so he's got confidence going into this. Javier Ayala is a tank. You know, he, he's a guy that you've got to get rid of. And, you, you know, he leaves openings. They're there for you, but you've got to take advantage of them when they are because if not, he's going to put a hurting on you. He's from the Frank Mir school, or uh, sorry, the uh, Roy Nelson school, not looking like a fighter. But oh, he's yeah. Dangerous. But he's dangerous, man. He's got a lot of power in that right hand, too.
All right, so that one's on the zone. Uh, I guess both of them are on the zone. Both of those are on the zone. Two thirty one. You can also you gotta get the zone. And you know, okay, let's be honest. I love the zone. I was on a flight coming back from doing fights, and I'm gonna miss the Anthony Joshua fight. And I got to see it because I had the zone, and it actually worked up in the air. Wow. In, in fact, uh, my partner Josh Thompson did the Ireland show while I was doing the LA show. They were a day apart. And he was like, he says, not only he goes, not only am I not getting to do the LA show, he goes, I'm gonna miss it because I'm flying at that time. I said, turn on the zone, you'll be able to see it. And he got to watch the fights flying in the air on the zone. So it's a great app. I never thought that I would be watching things on my phone. I get to watch fights that I never would have seen. I was flying when uh, Triple G fought uh, Dervachenko, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, this is awesome because I would be, you know, bored <laughs> yeah, as hell. Yeah, if it was on TV, you wouldn't be able to see it. And I can I guess if you it, have so. a sling or whatever that thing is, I don't know. Do they, I, I they still make that thing? Yeah. I don't know. It's Slingbox, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I wish these apps had downloadable content. I need, I, I want all of them. The Zone, Fight Pass, ESPN Plus. Just put them let all me download. One. No, just let me download stuff. Yeah. Because if I'm going in the air, I just want to, I want to be able to watch older fights. Oh, you're saying download to cover it events. and then watch it. Yeah. yeah. Like I want to be able to, if I'm going to cover an event, get to watch, like do a deep dive on some of the fights. I, I, I know people at the Zone. I'm going to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> you should, yeah, call them, call them up. But it, it's easy to do. If you have it archived on your thing. You would think. Add, download and yeah. there it is on your device. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for this, John. Hey, my pleasure, it. man. Thanks, Thanks for, for talking in. to me. That was Big John McCarthy on the TSN MMA show. Great Bellator cards coming up on Friday and Saturday with the UFC cards sandwiched in between. This is a lot of MMA, folks. And I think one championship has a card this weekend, too, that uh, John Lineker's on. Lordy, lordy. It's a lot of MMA. Too much MMA. How many hours is that going to be in total? Probably like, probably about 24 hours of MMA in total with four cards. It's like a full day. I don't know how we do it week in and week out. It's unbelievable. This sport has uh, truly become a year-round sport with no vacations. But I'm taking one at the end of December, damn it. I'm going to Florida with my family. I don't want any MMA to be interrupting that. So everybody stop scheduling events. I don't want to see any uh, MMA events scheduled for that last Week of the year, aside from that Ryzen card that happens every year. Maybe I'll watch that. Who knows? And there's also PFL, isn't there? I'm already, I'm already drowning. Already drowning in MMA at the end of the year. I'm going to be in Florida with my family. Let me have some time with my family, damn it. Just want to enjoy the beach for a couple days. Go to Hollywood Beach. Enjoy a couple drinks, a couple brewskis. Maybe let loose, have some wings at Mulligan's with my dad. Is that what it's called? Mulligan? Something like that. Is that too much to ask? Can we just take a little bit of a break so I can enjoy the, the warm weather in December? Enjoy some time with my three kids, my lovely wife, my parents. Is that too much, that too much for a man to ask? Well, be that as it may, we've got a lot of MMA this weekend. I'm not going on vacation this weekend, that's for sure. And like I said, I will be on Periscope. At 4.30 a.m. to preview UFC Fight Night in Singapore. Because that's how I roll, ladies and gentlemen. I don't sleep in and then, uh, you know, get a, get a Cliff's Notes version and then uh, tweet about the main event. That's not me. I'm active. So get on that with me and uh, ask your questions and I'll do my best to answer all of them, like I always do. Now, we will go to our first guest. She is facing the lone Canadian Lacard, Randa Marcos. She is coming off back-to-back wins. And uh, she is Ashley Yoder, a great 
story written about Ashley Yoder recently uh, by uh, my colleague Mark Raimondi at ESPN about uh, her martial arts journey, which is really quite unbelievable. And I would recommend that you, uh, you do read that. Maybe even before you, uh, this interview continues, if you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, maybe hit pause, go to ESPN, read that article, and then it'll give you a, uh, a little bit of an appetizer for this, this interview with Ashley Yoder as she joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by Ashley Yoder. Now, Ashley, this is a Canadian show, but I'm not going to show any bias towards your opponent, Random Argos, <laughs> new opponent, a more wrestling-based opponent. Did that change your training at all? Um, you know, I'm always training everything, so it didn't really change the game. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm like, we're, uh, learning on the job, so it didn't really change too much. Um, I'm actually excited to fight against her in the... So this is a, a chance to win three in a row, uh, obviously for the first time in the UFC. You had lost three in a row when you started in the UFC. Were you worried that you might not be able to come back uh, after the Mackenzie Dern fight, that they might not call you back for another one? Um, no, you know, I got a lot of praises after the Mackenzie Dern fight, so um, I wasn't as worried. Um, you know, you could win-lose, it doesn't matter. They can decide to cut you at any point. So, um, no, I, you know, I just go in there and try to do my best. What was the first win like for you, the win over Amanda Cooper, uh, last November, almost a year ago, uh, to, I guess 11 months ago to the day? Um, what was that like? Um, it, was ex- it was exciting. Um, there was a lot going on in that camp. Uh, my, one of my coaches got stuck in Brazil and last minute had a change. Coaching, um, cornering, it was just a lot of stuff that went wrong personally in my family. And um, To get that win was just really satisfying, the fact that I even got was able to be in the cage, you know, so... Um, yeah, it's been it's been quite the journey, so I'm excited about this next fight and hopefully just keep building off that. I looked at your amateur record uh, yesterday. I noticed you fought you fought two different women that ended up in the UFC, which is pretty rare. Um, have you have you ever gone back and and spoken, I guess, to Courtney Casey if you've seen her at an event or anything along those lines? And been like, hey, we fought like seven years ago. Oh yeah, no, we're cool. She actually was my first fight in California ever, um, and then. Uh, yeah, the uh, Jocelyn Ibarger fight would have been the other one, and she um, it was her last fight before she turned pro, and it was actually two weeks after I fought Courtney Casey, or a little bit right after. Um, so back. Um, didn't know who they were, of course, so I um, learned after, you know, once I got in the cage, you know, uh, exactly what kind of caliber I was uh, messing with, but it, it was fun, you know, it was a learning experience, that's what amateur is about, and, you know, it's kind of like a misdemeanor, once you get past it, you know, you get to rebuild your career, so. Now, I'm going to make a, I'm going to have a pretty bad admission here, but I'm going to admit that I've only cried when one celebrity has passed away, and that was Chris Farley, and I was on your Instagram <laughs> page and noticed that you're a big fan of his, so how did you get into Chris Farley, the, the wonderful Chris Farley? Uh, oh, yeah, so no, he's um, been someone that, you know, me and my brother used to watch all the time growing up, and um, it's just, he we like to laugh in my family, and he's just one of those guys that was always making you laugh, and, you know, there wasn't anything really behind it except for, I'm um, just a huge fan, so, yeah. You posted a great SNL clip where he's uh, in the undercover commercial where they're trying to fool <laughs> him with the decaf coffee. It's, it might be my favorite SNL clip of all time. I love that oh, that's one my sketch. God. <laughs> I think it's, like, funnier now. Like, I don't know why I think it's, like, funnier now, like, how things are. Like, people get offended so easily, you know. I think it's just, like, a really funny, oh, I mean, I die every time I watch it. Because just, like, every part of that video, like, those old ladies getting hit in the face with, like, out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a really, really funny video. I read a book about him. It's, uh, it's called The Chris Farley Story. And it's basically just everybody from SNL's account of, like, all of his stories and all the, all the stuff about him that just made him so great and stuff from behind the scenes you'd never know. But it's a good read if you ever have a chance. 
Yeah, for sure. I would love to. Uh, so you mentioned uh, watching um, the movies with your brother. Your brother passed away. I read uh, a great piece that ESPN did um, on you. Um, this is going to be a different kind of fight week for you because it's the same week that your, your brother Michael passed away. He passed away October 20th, and, and you're, you're going to be fighting that same week. Was it difficult to accept the fight under those circumstances? Are you, are you thinking about that at all going in? Um, you know, it's something that always weighs heavy on me, but um, definitely not taking it in a negative light. Um, right before my Amanda Cooper fight, or actually on my Amanda Cooper fight the day after was my little cousin's anniversary of passing. So um, I've already been through that kind of, you know, um, kind of experiences of like trying to you know, deal with that and, you know, stay focused on the fight. And I think it just really helps me kind of learn how to um, just embrace, like, where I'm at in life and not to dwell on things that um, have already happened. And, you know, like, it doesn't make me miss them anymore if I if I make myself suffer. So I'm just going to um, take this opportunity to enjoy um, my first time overseas and, you know, just really have um, a really great fight for the fans. It seems like that's been kind of a, uh, a trend in your career is that as you keep doing this, you keep putting yourself in situations where you, you encounter more and more difficulty. Is that by design? Do, do, seriously, I think, it's, I think it's very admirable because um, it's a difficult thing to do is to, to, put, to put yourself in those situations in order to thrive. But, you know, um, how are you going to grow if you don't get out of your comfort zone? So that's kind of how I've, like, kind of really taken advantage of these, you know, what most people would be like, they're making you fight who? They're making you fight who? Why are you taking all these tough fights? Like, you know, I the UFC understands that I'm going to fight whoever they tell me I have to fight. So um, why dwell on, like, the things, like, it could be bad when you could you could see light and you can get something positive out of it. And at the end of the day, if I make it through with all my limbs still attached, I did something out of my comfort zone, and it's a win for me, you know, so. Um, another new thing for you is, is fighting outside of the U.S. This is your first international fight. Are you looking forward to checking out Singapore? Yeah, I am. You know, I'm only there the week before, so um, it won't be too instead of a travel like experience. But um, yeah, I'm excited about all the. I've always wanted to go to Singapore, so I'm pretty excited. Are you planning on staying uh, a little bit longer afterwards? No, I'm I'm coming home. I have a um, you know ob- obligations back at home. I have two dogs and I have a job, so I'm just gonna get back to work. I'll give you a little bit of advice about Singapore. Don't pack gum. Yeah, that's what everybody told me. <laughs> when Holly Holm fought in in uh, Singapore, I guess it was whatever the last Singapore card was or maybe two uh, cards ago, I, I had interviewed her a little bit beforehand, and she was like, I love chewing gum. I chew gum all the time. I, like This This is going to be a challenging week because I won't be able to do that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I am the same way. And one of my co- or actually Tarek Tafferty, like Googled it. He says, it says it's not illegal right now. But, you know, that was Wikipedia, so you cannot believe anything that's on there. I've been trying to, you know, wean myself off gum and go to mint, but the gum is just one thing that I just, it's going to be, yeah, that's going to be hard for sure. You should probably call the U.S. consulate in Singapore to make sure that it is, in fact, legal now. Can I bring my chewing gum? (laughs) Well, Ashley, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Best of luck against Randa Marcos uh, coming up uh, this, this coming weekend in Singapore, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That was Ashley Yoder on the TSN MMA show and also fighting on this weekend's card at UFC Fight Night in Singapore. Maya versus Askren. We've got Maurice the Crochet Boss Green. And uh, he, he, you know, he brought a, a friend along for this interview. I, I got to uh, 
interview somebody who he's with. I, I don't want to spoil exactly who I'm who I talk to in this interview, so I'll just roll it out and you can uh, you can listen for yourself. It's a very unorthodox, strange interview with something of a strange man, Maurice Green. And he joins us now on the TSMMA show. I'm now joined by the crochet boss himself, Maurice Green, facing Sergei Pavlovich next weekend in Singapore. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing awesome, man. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. It sounds like you're at the club. What's going on behind you? Oh, man, I'm getting my hair cut, you know. <laughs> you got to get the hair cut for, for the TV, man. You got to make sure you look presentable on TV, man. All right, just wanted to make sure we explain the music in the background so people don't think I'm partying on the job. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so this is a big one for you. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich, he entered the UFC undefeated, but uh, faced a loss uh, against Alistair Overeem, uh, has since bounced yeah. back. Well, what, what do you think about Pavlovich and, and how you match up with him? I mean, he's just another heavy-handed striker like everybody else in the UFC heavyweight division, you know? Uh, I'm a sniper, so... You know, we're, we're going to pick his big ass apart until he gives up. So, you know, I'm ready to go through the fire, to go through the fire, go through hell and back to get to the W and be 4-0. And so, you know, I just did six weeks of a fight camp. Um, it, it's about that time to go full speed, you know. Looking at your Instagram page, I see a lot of pictures of you and your family. And it makes me think back to the Ultimate Fighter where you were having some issues with drinking, with smoking. Being at home must really center you. I, I Tell us about how, how much better you are as a fighter when you're not in that kind of a volatile surrounding. Well, ultimate fighter is very, uh, it's a different situation, man. Like you're, you're in a house with people that you're going to potentially fight, you know, and uh, it's just, you know, it, they take your phones, you, they take everything from you, you know, so it forces you to be around each other. And, and what do you expect? You know, everybody has their own outlets. They give you a fully stocked bar and, yeah, I won my fight early, so I had a couple of drinks, and I didn't like a couple of motherfuckers in there. So, you know, it's just this just how it goes, you know. Absolutely, but I think that it gave people an unrealistic view of who you are and what you're all about. I think that uh, when people saw you on the Ultimate Fighter, that wasn't the Maurice Green that you know you would present yourself as normally, correct? Oh, absolutely not, absolutely not. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, at the same time. If, if you haven't went through that, it's a unique experience. And in so many ways, it got me ready for, you know, what I'm doing now, you know. Uh, I think if I went and went through the alternate fighter, uh, I don't know if I'm 3-0 right now in the UFC, you know. Yeah, it puts you in the toughest of situations. Um, and now you're up against a really tough opponent in Pavlovich. Um, recently, we saw Israel Adesanya win a championship. Now, he's a glory veteran like yourself. What did that mean to you when you saw him win a, a UFC championship coming from a similar organization as you had? Um, you know, I fell into kickboxing. I was, it was never, you know, that was just an opportunity. I, and I took advantage of it, and I seized the moment there. Um, I've always been on the path of mixed martial arts. That was just to kind of like uh, fix my striking and make sure I was confident in my hands because your hands set up kind of everything else. Your hands set up your takedowns. Your hands set up your kicks. Your hands set up a lot of things. So that just gave me confidence. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's cool and all. I don't know a person, so it's just whatever. For me, it's a mood point. You uh, have a side business, obviously, as the crochet boss. It's the cro crochet boss shop on Etsy. Uh, how many hats would you say you sell in, like, the average month? I'm curious about how, how your business operates. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people that want my hats, but, you know, I, I only got so much time right now. You know, being new in the UFC, you know, you got to fight, man. You got to fight until you can get that time to where you can 
fights every what three to six months uh, and make a decent amount of money. Right now, you know, I'm just I'm fighting for my life, for my family's life right now. So as much as I can fight, I fight. I, it doesn't give me a lot of time to crochet. Um, but you know, I, I probably sold about 500 pieces, if not a little more than that, so far. And how long does it take to make each hat? Uh, hour and a half, two hours, start to finish. Sometimes it depends on which hat and what I'm doing with it. That's cool. So if if somebody goes on Etsy and buys uh, a crochet boss hat, they they're getting a piece of Maurice Green. Absolutely, 100 percent. So far in the UFC, you fought uh, Michelle Batista, uh, Jeff Hughes, Junior Albini. Um, a lot of people thought that you'd have some trouble with Hughes. He had beaten you before that, um, but you were able to get by in that particular fight. Was that the deepest water you've been in so far in the UFC? I mean, my last fight with Hughes was five rounds. I spent 40 minutes in the cage with Jeff Hughes. So, I mean, he's one of the toughest guys I fought. I mean, I'll say Tom Blue in the face. Jeff Hughes, he don't look like much. He's a tough motherfucker, though. And uh, on the Ultimate Fighter, you faced the eventual winner, Juan Espino. Where's Juan been? Do you have any idea wh- where he's been since winning the Ultimate Fighter? I don't care where Juan's been since, uh, since he won the Ultimate Fighter. That's not my concern, to be honest with you. All I do know, if he wants to fight again, he better go get him some wins and get him a ranked win before he thinks about fighting me again. I'll tell you that much. Where do you expect to be in the rankings if you get a win over Sergey uh, this, this coming weekend? I mean, I expect to be a single digit. I mean, it doesn't matter. The, the, the ultimate goal is to get a title shot twenty end of 2020, early 2021. So whatever I got to do to get that title shot, we're going to do it. Is there anybody when you look up the ladder that you're particularly looking ahead to, to wanting to face? Um, you know, everybody everybody from one to nine is a target. So if you're, if you're ranked one to nine, one through nine, you're always a target on my list. So, Is there one in particular you think would be you know, particularly fun, like a good matchup for you? Yeah, just line it up right there. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sit here and call people out right now because I, I have a task at hand who Sergey Pavlovich. So um, I'll save that for after the fight right now. I'm 100% focused on the task at hand with who is Sergey. So we're going to go in there. We're, we're going to mix it up with Sergey. I'm going to get punched in the face. I'm going to punch him in the face. Um, and we're going to have some fun, and then we'll talk about who's next. Can I say hi to your barber while you're there with him? Say it again. Can I say hi to your barber while you're you're in the chair? Oh, absolutely. Hold on. What's his name? Tony. Okay. Hold on. No problem. No, you want to say hi to you? Oh yeah. Sure do. Hello. Hey, Tony. My name's Aaron. I I work with TSN, ESPN in Canada. Um, I just wanted to say hi. You're doing a, a, a haircut for Maurice right now. How long has he been a client of yours for? Oh, man, me and Maurice go way back, probably about probably like three, four years, man. He's a real good guy, man. <laughs> What's it been like watching him, you know, get better and better in the UFC and, and climb the ranks? You know, it's been really exciting watching this dude, and I know he got the full potential to go all the way. Like, I've been watching this man from probably the beginning, and to see his growth, his growth and development, man, it's, it's, it's shocking, man. This man got what it takes to go all the way I'm telling you right now I got faith in the man and before I let you go has he given you any crochet hats or anything along those lines he's actually in the middle he's in the process of making me one right now would you consider so, selling someone consignment at the shop oh yeah for sure yeah yes indeed alright well maybe I've brokered a deal here well Tony thank you for your time I appreciate it no problem here you go
Appreciate you. Hello. And Maurice, thank you so much. And uh, and thanks to Tony for uh, for the cameo. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, he's been, All right. Now we're getting that we're getting that Mbaku cut right now. <laughs> we, are, are you a, are you a gum chewer? A lot of people in, in Singapore say not to go and chew gum when you're there. Are you are you planning on bringing a pack? Oh, uh, you got jokes, huh? No, seriously, in Singapore, me, it's banned. Fine? Yeah, no, I'm saying don't. No, so my stepmom is a citizen of Singapore. My stepmom is from Singapore. Both my sisters are from Singapore, so I'm well aware. People don't realize that I got family over there on the meet for the first time. So this is more than just a UFC fight for me. I get to fly across the country to meet some family. Well, that's cool that you get to connect with, with, uh, with your stepmom and her family. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so. All right, yeah, Maurice. I feel like a million dollars, and um, you know, I'm more like more than feeling like it. The UFC is gonna, gonna pay me a million dollars, and uh, they don't know it yet, but I've known it this whole time. Just so you know. All right, Tony seems to know it too. He says he's it says you can go all the way. Absolutely, I wouldn't be here. I'm the most unique heavyweight in the UFC heavyweight division. You tell me who's marketable. I'll wait. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I've always enjoyed thank speaking you. with you. It's the Crochet Boss, Maurice Green. Uh, thanks, Maurice. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for your time. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Bye. That was the Crochet Boss, Maurice Green, on the TSN MMA show. Always a pleasure speaking to the Crochet Boss. So we've got uh, Maya versus Askren. Joe and I finally had a week where I beat Joe in our picks. Last week, Joe selected Kyle Bokniak, who was unsuccessful against Sean Woodson. And I did a parlay of Dominic Reyes and Molly McCann, which, which went through, finally. A win for me. So I, I'm chipping away. You know, only a couple, how many more weeks of uh, MMA left? Maybe eight? I've got to chip away at this. I've got to start stringing together more parlays and, and getting it done. Now, I don't have a pick from Joe, but I'm going to... Uh, Take a look at the docket here. And uh, if I had to make a uh, a pick here, I'm not exactly sure what I would do. But uh, just from taking a quick look, I don't really have a ton of leans here. But uh, if I had to pick one person, I would take Loma Lukbunmi, if that's how uh, she pronounced her name. I think she, based on her Muay Thai credentials, I think she has over 300 Muay Thai fights. Taking on a mostly striking-based fighter in Alexandra Albu, I think that she's going to have a lot of success in this fight. And she's only minus 120. That's going to be my, uh, my pick for this week. It's the first fight on the card. But it does not count against our records because I have to go head-to-head with Joe in order for it to count. But that's just, uh, just looking at it, that's what I would go with. And you've also got Rory McDonald against Douglas Lima. McDonald, a plus 155 underdog against Lima in the rematch. He beat Lima the first time. And this is going to be a big question as to where Rory McDonald's at. You know, he had looked really good in his last fight against Neiman Gracie. But uh, the fight prior to that against John Fitch, no bueno. Did not look great. But it looks like he bounced back, and we'll see what Rory McDonald still has in the, in the tank. We, we spoke about it earlier with uh, Big John McCarthy. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. Next week, I think Joe will be back here with me as we uh, preview UFC 244. I will be in New York, so uh, I will have a podcast out for you on Monday, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, until then, 
I get knocked down, but I get up again. You are never going to keep me down. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.